Welcome to the latest episode of Triple Takeover, a fortnightly podcast about Transformers and other vintage toy lines where three grown men ramble on about robots, lobsters, robot butlers, and doing the tidying up, apparently. My name is Sixo, but more on that later, because as ever, I'm joined by my two esteemed and devilishly handsome co-hosts. First up, there's the man whose sole purpose for getting up in the morning is the idea of a hard-nosed conehead. It's Maz from Transformers Square One. Choo-choo. Then we have the cheekiest, not to mention the chirpiest, Jurassic Park fan north of the M25. It's Liam from Toybox Soapbox. Sounds like Sixo uh, found a way to make that intro even funnier. Very good. Together we are Triple Takeover, and the topic for today is none other than toy photography, which feels rather fitting given that it's the thing that the three of us are probably best known for in the Transformers community. This isn't really intended to be instructional in any way, think of it less as how-to and more about why we do it to begin with, but I'm sure there'll be some of the technical stuff creeping in along the way. But before all of that, how's it hanging, chaps? Yeah, it's alright. I'm just um, suffering from this weird sense of deja vu at the minute, but other than that, everything's great. Well, that sounds terrible. How are you doing, Maz? You want deja vu? I have a son. Is it oh, Monday? Wow. Is it Wednesday? Is it 2021? I don't know. I don't sleep. Hey, everyone. Fantastic news, mate. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank Massive you. congratulations. Many, many thanks. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite the update, that is. Uh, he's been with us since the end of April, and uh, it's just everything's just been about him, as you'd expect. He's our second one, but uh, it's amazing how much you forget from the first time. I can well imagine, mate. It's been uh, it's been a good few years since I've been in that position uh, with a newborn, and I I'm fairly confident I've forgotten it all already. I can I can say. I think if uh, if we didn't forget it, you'd never do it again. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's probably a good way. How's he doing? Is he uh, is he getting bigger? Is he Titan class yet? Would you say? <laughs> he's uh, he's rapidly approaching the size of a Fort Max, and and it's all about is my kid bigger than a Fort Max? That's when you know he's real. But yeah. no, he's, he's growing. He's just under five kilos. I didn't weigh today. He's uh, drinking like a champ, pooping like a champ. Uh, he's brilliant. Love him. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. And speaking of getting older, uh, we've recently been described online as a, a group of older fellas. So uh, I don't know how how you both felt about that, but um, I, I feel dead personally. That's uh, That's me written off. Yes, please. No more on that later. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, I think we could put that one, uh, what that one to bed. But uh, it was a bit of a wake up call being described as an older fella. I can tell you. Yeah, put uh, it in a but... tub and roll it down a hill. No thanks. I yeah, mean, being the youngest on here, you guys make me feel young. But uh, even now, I feel really old. So, yeah, youngest thanks. by youngest by how many months though, Liam? That's the question. You are one year older than me, apparently. Legally, mm. doesn't matter that we were born in the same year. It's just you know, time. Time is relative. Well, I'm I'm technically classed as a geriatric parent now. I was going to say, Maz is, Maz is the oldest of all of them. He's the real that, oldie. That's why here. he's shouting at the cloud in the corner at the minute. He's the real oldie here. So, yeah, well, uh, obviously today's to- topic is uh, toy photography, which seemed like it was going to be a fun one to me because, as I said, a lot of people know us for <laughs> our <laughs> photography. Oh, <wait. laughs> oh, oh man. <laughs> You feel that strongly about photography, do you? Oh, God, it's just not happening tonight. It's the end times. <laughs> For some context, he's literally in the hallway, turning ahead in different directions and barking at different windows. 
Hang on. Because <laughs> I, I just wanted to say, a minute ago, you know, Amad said all of his time at the minute is taken up with having a new child and all that. But um, I think anyone who has looked at his Twitter feed might have noticed how much of his time has been spent rebuying Binotech toys and things like that. One, one toy, one toy, and I never oh, owned man. it before. How, how many you've, have you got on the way? How many have you, you got You've way? bought so much Binotech, Maz, it's crazy. Uh, no, I mean, I've bought another Binotech toy, but it's not here yet. Also, Shocking. not one I didn't have. Um, Sixo, how many Binotechs have you bought since the last episode? It's it's an undetermined amount <laughs> See, at I present. Feel, I feel like it's no, important. Numbers don't go that high. Yeah, well, let's let's just leave it to the imagination, shall we? But I'm shocked that you've bought two of them. I think that's um, that's dreadful. <laughs> Self-enablement. How, how many how many have you got now, Maz? Oh, don't you start as well. Bloody have hell. you noticed how, how it cocky was my he's birthday been. present yeah. to myself was AJRX, and possibly there might be a couple of individual members say, on the way too. You've been extraordinarily cocky this last couple of weeks, soapbox. For someone that for someone that you know is going to get enabled on a future episode, let's put it that way. That RID two thousand and one episode is going to come up at some point. Has anyone got a landfill or a storm jet? (laughs) I know what was. Who was that? That that was a brief moment of weakness. I'm I'm stronger than you guys. You guys talked yourself into it. (laughs) Whatever, mate. You know. That was uh, that was having a little rum in the evening and then thinking, oh yeah, I'd like a landfill. That was. <laughs> no, it was talking to you two about landfill. That's what it. That's It'll it. come again. We'll wear you down, honestly. Well, and then that I, that episode is going to be priceless. And just the absolute joy of that Binal Tech episode has been seeing you two just. Well, pretty much all of us really just fall down that well again, isn't it? Everyone. Oh, well, I do. You know I always said I would get in on Binal Tech again one day. I always said it would happen, and then the episode was very much just the the nudge that was needed. So. Isn't that brilliant? Because everyone else has sort of responded, and they've dug out their Binal Tech collections, and people have started buying Binal Tech toys. We've had people tagging us saying this is Triple Takeover's fault. You know, dude going home with a brand new alternator or Binal Tech. It's fantastic. It's, uh, it's been brilliant. That, that toy yeah, line deserves to wonderful. be. Be it's it's been great. Even just people, you know, as you said, digging out their old toys from however many years ago and just reappreciating them. It's just been amazing. I've absolutely loved seeing it. And actually, it's been great to see so many people uh, even just commenting on pictures that we've taken or whatever and just saying, wow, that toy line was brilliant. A couple of people saying that it's ass or whatever, but uh, what, what can you can't please it? Yeah, well, exactly. well, they can you comment yeah. on the entire toy line because you've basically owned, bought, photographed it all in the last week. So. Yeah. You know, it's not quite not quite true, mate. The best is yet to come, but we'll it, we'll save that for another day, won't we? It. It's been <laughs> yeah, an absolute exactly. highlight this week. Is every time I look at my phone, it's Maz saying something, and then six I reply with, "Oh, guess what? I've got on the way." <laughs> <laughs> Bought another Binal Tech. It's just <laughs> it's it's been a bit Binal Tech madness, yeah. fair to say. But um, but it's it's so plentiful and and so easy to collect and uh, and, so, and so delightful. Was. <laughs> was. <laughs> yeah, it's the last episode. See, I'm getting in ahead of the uh, any kind of enablement curve. That's the thing. So, uh, you know, it seems to be making a bit of a splash. So we'll see. We'll see how it is in a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, it's. I mean, I'm I'm delighted with it. Really, I'm so happy to rediscover that line. And you know, I make no bones about it. Yeah, it is. I, I self-enabled, but I, I couldn't be happier about it. It's, there's self-enablement and there's capitulation. Buying <laughs> yeah. like, an entire toy line. It's like several yeah. toy lines technically. Yeah. <laughs> As I say, Soapbox, you just wait. You keep being cocky for now. Your day will come. You've got nothing for me, Sixer. You've got nothing. But isn't it an amazing <laughs> feeling to have a, a new Binal Tech on the way? It's that feeling oh. from like 
how many years ago now? It's like, I've actually got a new Binaltech on the way. And then it arrives and it's that amazing box. Uh, yeah, this is not the Binaltech Redux episode, but it, it has been I was amazing. just going like, to say, should, we, should my... we just do another one on Binaltech right <laughs> now? Just, we, we were going to talk about toy photography, but we can just talk about Binaltech for two and hours. Of course, how much to. fun have you had photographing those Binaltech years after the first time you photographed them now with your updated equipment Ama- and, amazing and amazing and, yeah, and it's funny actually because when we did the vinyl tech episode i look back and you know kind of getting us on topic i guess i look back at some of the, the photographs that i had taken from the bts that i had remained you know from the time uh, and we're probably only talking maybe five years ago something six years ago maybe six that uh, you know the toys that i had in hand that i'd since sold uh and the, the photographs that i'd taken at the time and i was really unimpressed with them i was really like oh man these these pictures are so bad uh and i was looking for some for the episode artwork and whatever so actually yeah it's been a thrill to retake new pictures of them now with you know new setup new you know new equipment all of that kind of jazz and um it's it's made such a big difference and for me I guess it's been nice because so much of what I do is photos for reviews and all of that kind of jazz. It's been nice to just like take some pictures just for fun as well, you know, and, and just kind of really enjoy it. So it's kind of reaffirmed a lot of stuff for me, actually. It's been really nice seeing those photos as well, just seeing those toys because we'll cover this in the episode, but it's they really popped up at a different time for photography, didn't they? So it is nice to see those yeah. toys get that kind of modern photography treatment. No, oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I've had tremendous fun with it. So, but yeah, I mean, it kind of bringing us, I suppose, naturally onto today's topic, which is toy photography. And uh, I did think that this would be kind of fun to talk about. And we've already kind of ascertained why. But, you know, obviously, the three of us, as I've already said, are well known in different ways, I suppose, for our photography in the community, which I don't know, I guess is is weird. And we'll we'll kind of get into each of us in a minute and, and kind of how we got into it. But it is still kind of a weird thing to say, oh, like I'm known for my photography. You know, it does sound a little bit uh, poncy or whatever. But, um, uh, you know, we've, we've each kind of come to it, I suppose, through our different uh, routes, haven't we? I mean, Maz, you know, for you, um, you know, let, let's talk about it now. How did you get into it as the kind of person that's been sort of established on the scene longest? How did you get into toy photography? Because I know, and knowing you as I do, it wasn't necessarily, you know, what you set out to do, was it? No, not at all. It was just an accompaniment to the articles, which is what I specifically wanted to do. I wanted to document toys and and write about toys and express my enjoyment of them in written form. And uh, nobody really likes a wall of text. So it made sense at the beginning for me to break up paragraphs with images of the toy I was writing about. But very little effort was going into making those images look impressive or even remotely photographic it it was just supposed to be an accompaniment and that's what most of the photography in the fandom was like at the time late 90s early 2000s there were no standout toy photographers that it wasn't a known aspect of collecting it was just people showing toys for what they were you know we've just discovered this toy here's a variant here's what it looks like when you get all these together you know these would have been photos even taken on film cameras or the very earliest phone cameras or maybe someone had like a small digital camera it was only about 2002, I think, um, that anyone I knew got a DSLR. And it was a guy called Ben Munn who was photographing his Diaclone collecting. And I saw what kind of extra benefit that was bringing to his work, the kind of um, the impact that it was giving his work. And I thought, well, I would love to to do that too. So at some point I got an old Pentax 
Optio S40 or something, I think it was called. And I started doing photography with that. And But that was still with a flash. That was with, you know, just bits of maybe a book. And you could even see my bed covers from where I used to live in, in the photographs and the, the really bad 10-year-old wallpaper that, that was in my room. It was a, a long time before I started really focusing on making the photography look as good as it could as a big element and a big draw of my work. But originally, the photography was never the draw of my work. It was it was the writing, which was the core. Which is interesting, because I guess, actually, a lot of people now, uh, you know, that maybe are kind of starting or, or trying to start out in the same way, probably put photography as almost, I wouldn't say more important than the words, but kind of certainly up there as a kind of dual part of what they do. Um, and it, it's definitely become more prevalent now, hasn't it, in terms of the number of people that are trying to, uh, well, e- even just casually take pictures of their collection and putting out really lovely images. It's just, it's everywhere now. Yeah, I think that's got a lot to do with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram being right. key platforms where people share the hobby, whereas before it would have been websites or forums and, you know, words and long pieces of prose would have been par for the course, whereas now, you know, it's a lot shorter. It's uh, And, you know, most of my effort now goes into photography and, and I do most of my sharing on social media as opposed to my blog, which is woefully neglected these days. I guess that's a really good point is that, you know, obviously with social media, it encourages you to approach everything from a photographic angle. You know, typically posts, even on Twitter, that have photographs are often, you know, they're the ones that are kind of promoted and, and picked up and, uh, and liked and all of that kind of stuff. So... It, it really probably that has had a huge influence in terms of how people approach the presentation of what they do. And I've noticed certainly even people sharing just pictures of their collection on shelves, there is a kind of presentation angle to it, which you don't see from websites that if you look back at, you know, pictures from 20 years ago, that's just not there. And as you said, mm. you would very often get people just very matter of factly you know, with a, a, a simple camera at the time, you know, a little uh, compact camera or whatever, taking pictures with lots of, I think the, the, the technical term is visual debris, uh, you know, all the kind of bedspread and all of that kind of stuff, you would get a lot of that going on. Um, whereas now people are maybe a bit more considered about what they're putting out there as well. So it's definitely changed hugely, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has, yeah. There was a time where you could count Transformers photographers on one hand. You know, the people that were well known for doing it, it was like, like I said, Ben Munn, uh, TF Kencon, Remy, uh, you know, you could count the people on one hand who were responsible for that. And and it was, they were looked at with awe because it was not an accessible standard for most people. You know, people weren't buying expensive camera equipment. People didn't have phones that could produce those kind of results, whereas it's quite different today. I think um, it's not as big a leap to producing attractive photo content of toys that you own. As, as it probably was uh, maybe uh, 15, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Do you think uh, Do you think a big part of that is DSLRs or do you think it's other things? I think uh, it's mobile photography getting uh, becoming more common because uh, I think people who now have really good phones with great cameras, you know, you can even work with settings like um, depth of field, aperture exposure, stuff like that. And you even do some post photography work on phones and the software they have and maybe it's no longer too big of a bridge too big of a gap to bridge to using a full-on dslr with tons of settings and and then using a a software package from photoshop or lightroom or something like that to to polish your photos afterwards 
well, even then, even I mean, we'll get into all of that later. But even stuff like um, Photoshop and and Lightroom, you know, there are tons of free equivalents as well now, and everything, you know, or just simpler equivalents. And, and there are numerous apps and things that do a lot of that for you as well, you know. And that's um, you know, people talk about filters and things like that, which is actually an area that I'm I don't really know a lot about, to be honest. You know, like adding Instagram filters and things like that. Um, but a lot of that is is done i think sort of almost automatically from what i understand but there are numerous ways that people can achieve a style as well i suppose and kind of get to mm-hmm. a result that they really want whereas you certainly you know picking up a dslr for the first time and not really knowing what you're doing with it it's a very kind of complicated thing so i can see that that would almost be um not a barrier for people but it's certainly a bit of a, a kind of leap you know it's a bit of a step change or whatever so it's a real um, thing. I mean, you're talking about people having a style and a signature. Uh, I remember back in the day, no one would put a watermark on their photographs mm. uh, unless they didn't want their photographs to be used on a fraudulent auction or it was a particularly well-known website that had really rare toys and they wanted that recognition for that. Whereas nowadays, you know, there are many more people producing Transformers photos that could qualify as being called artwork and creativity. And they have a brand, they have, you know, a watermark and you know, the whole reviewing toys business is sort of uh, worked to make that a bigger thing now. Yes, Collectors definitely. with watermarks. Yeah. And also, um, in terms of equipment, I know um, I was always happier or, or I didn't feel like an imposter in the photography world when I was making the most of weak equipment. So I had like a compact camera or a mobile phone and I was making photos that people were commenting positively on. But I always knew I'm just making the best of what I've got. I've, I've got a method and that's what I do. Whereas as soon as my wife bought me a DSLR a few years ago, the imposter syndrome was strong. And it was like, okay, now I have a standard to me. You know, there's people like Sixo, there's, you know, all these photographers on TFW, uh, like Tony Bacala, the guy who runs TFW, is also an incredible photographer. Ah, his, these, his photos are exceptional. Yeah. They're amazing. And these people use DSLRs. And now I've got to sort of somehow justify owning this and not look like a tryhard. And there was like a different pressure involved in making good photographs. And I remember my initial reaction was, no, I don't want this camera. This is too much. You know, I, I can't make the best of this. Whereas I had a I had a light tent and lights, but a compact camera, and I was super happy and had a method there. But the leap that my work took simply by having a DSLR was significant and easy to recognize. I remember it at the time, but but I think that, you know, the results speak for themselves as well. And, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people would be surprised to hear you saying that because your reputation with photography is very, very high and rightly so. And, um, but, I, but I can recognize it as well because there's definitely been times where I've, you know, upgraded a little bit of kit or something or, or changed how I do something. And almost you take a step back to take a step forward, don't you? For it's almost sure, like, yes. you know, you have to kind of relearn it all. It can be quite disheartening as well when someone gets a DSLR and then they think like, I'm not even able to take the photos I was taking with something half the price. And it can be a a definite barrier to progression. You've got to get over that. I think it comes with as well. You you put in so much more effort, don't you, to learn how to use it. And Mm -hmm. it changes the way you take those photos, doesn't it? Like, Like we were saying earlier, you go from sort of, you know, like Pentax cameras and things where it's very much just snap, 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 or your camera phone. You're just taking a functional photo. Whereas... Once you're with a DSLR, you put so much effort into actually taking the photo that it sort of expands into how you set up the photo and all the different things you use. And it, it then, right. you then start to make it, you know, give it life rather than it just being an image. 
I think that's exactly it. Uh, I remember someone describing to me once the difference between uh, DSLR photography and non-DSLR photography is that when you're not using a DSLR, the camera actually does so much of the work, not does the work for you, but it fills in a lot of the blanks. You know, it's like so much of it is automatic, um, you know, whether it's the exposure or whether it's the focusing or whether it's, uh, you know, the, the, the depth of field or different parts of it, you know, whereas actually there are elements in a DSLR that suddenly are under your control that you wouldn't even think of in uh, automatic cameras or phone cameras or whatever it may be. You know, suddenly you're thinking about white balance, you're thinking about ISO, you're thinking about shutter speed, you're thinking about all of these different elements that actually you move one digit of one setting and it vastly uh, changes the results that you get. But even then, you've got to learn all of that stuff Mm, to begin with as well. It's hugely daunting, hugely so. And I think I I remember picking up a, a DSLR for the first time, not with Transformers, I already knew DSLR photography when I came to Transformers but I remember being hugely disheartened by it to begin with because it was like even on automatic it was like well why can I not get what the results that I kind of want in my head you know and I think there is a a very big learning curve with it for sure Um, yeah it's like it's I don't know mine was a similar sort of experience to yours when I got mine I I was excited until I started trying to use it and everything felt so counterintuitive and it was so difficult and no matter what I did things looked worse didn't they like than they did through the camera phone. Mm-hmm. And it was just, and like you were saying about imposter syndrome, I felt the same, but I felt even worse than that. I felt like I was missing something everybody else knew. Because mm-hmm. when someone else takes a photo, it looks easy until you do it. Yeah. And, it and it's kind of, it looks effortless. But then when I was trying to do it myself, it's like, why am I too stupid to understand how this works? And oh, there's just so that, much of that, yeah. Yeah, you feel stupid, don't you? You do feel like that, like there's some information that you just are missing. And I think if you ask the wrong person, how they take their photos and you don't know their history of photography like why do they do it that way what what has what have they experienced and learned for example there was a there's a guy in the uk who was doing a lot of toy photography and he uses strobe lights and Uh, yeah and if i was to try to uh, reproduce what he was doing the methods he was using there seemed to be so many complicated aspects that i just you know i knew i could never do that and i just moments like that you think maybe this just isn't for me, you know, I'd love to, but I probably can't. Whereas his method was so specific that I've realized now that I I can do it a different way. I can do it my way. And a lot of what I've learned is trial and error and it doesn't follow a a methodical path. Like I find it very hard to explain to someone, but uh, yeah, so it kind of depends who you ask as well. It definitely does. And I think, um, I think, that at the risk of saying it and i'm not saying this about any transformers photographers actually but i am talking about photographers that i know who are not doing toy photography but they're they're, because i do know people well as well that just are into photography you know outside of this hobby bizarre you have other friends Um, i know imagine that i know people that uh, i'm friends with people that don't even like transformers imagine that um some uh, friend i know shocking isn't it um but but some people are a bit snobby about it as well and they almost kind of they they have knowledge of how they do things but they like the enigma of it as well they like it's gatekeeping the, it's, it's simply it is gatekeeping, gatekeeping. Yeah. it's hugely and, gatekeeping and i yeah. really hate it when i see people say things like just because you have a camera it doesn't make you a photographer i mean that mm, is designed same. to separate people and uh, make them feel unworthy of pursuing something creative and yeah. that yes. doesn't help anyone apart from maybe making someone feel better about their own creations I 100% agree. I think anybody can do this. You know, it's not 
stuff it's all stuff that can be learned ultimately you know yes there are there is a creative aspect to it mm-hmm. and yes some people will have more of an innate sense for uh, you know camera angles and things like that but even then it's stuff that can be learned and i think what you said before maz about trial and error that is the for me the single biggest element that makes the difference because yeah. i think sometimes people and I, you know i suppose being honest i get asked a lot how how do you take this photo or that photo or whatever and it's almost i wouldn't say it's too much to explain in one paragraph that's not i'm not trying to sound arrogant with that but there's too much history to how i got to that photograph if that makes mm-hmm. sense because there's there's a thousand photographs before that where i learned something with each one that brought me to taking this photo actually quite simply in some cases you know you 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 can just sort of point and click but mm. what came before that was all of the times I got it wrong. And uh, those are the bits that people don't see uh, and the the times that you don't share. And I think that's really important to acknowledge as well is that nobody, nobody sits down and gets it right all of the time. You know, people make so many mistakes. They might take 50 photos and publish one. Mm. And the one that you see looks amazing. The other 50 can look duff as anything. And and that's just reality. We all have good days, bad days. So I think it's it's one of those where I, I suppose that would be a, a good message to try and get across a bit today is that, you know, nobody should f- be feeling intimidated to kind of get going with this. Actually, quite the opposite. I think everybody can do this and should mm-hmm. give it a go because it's fun. If I can do it, anyone can do it. It's, that, it's very much <laughs> like that. Well, <laughs> I, wanna... I think... You're being you're you're downplaying yourself yeah, a lot. You're being there, modest there, to say the least. Oh no, I just don't generally have patience for these things. But with this, I can do it, and I, and I think that speaks to sort of it is very daunting to pick up at first. But once you get going, it's you pick up so many little knacks and little tricks, mm. and it just it becomes quite easy, doesn't it? Well, that's the thing. I, I wanted to talk about uh, one guy in particular, boastful manfish, John Strong. I don't think he uses Love DSLR photos, but I was like, if I reckon, for example, both of you, if you were to take a mobile phone with a decent mm-hmm. camera, um, I don't think you need all of the settings on the DSLR to take a, a striking photograph. And I reckon you could both apply what you know now of setting up a shot and general lighting and composition to take a really good photo. You can tell someone like John takes incredible photos because yeah. he's obviously, he understands composition. He understands focus, yeah. depth of field, character and bringing something to life and it's not just equipment like he doesn't use a dslr as far as i know and uh, he's able to take photographs that are incredible you know really yeah. top draw photographs that would not be out of place in in a catalog or on box photography and stock photos and uh, that's just someone who has an excellent eye for photos so that is also a thing for example I, oh, I, in the past i've told people exactly what my settings are and they have the same camera as me and the same lights and the light tent and uh, I'm feeling called out here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was it you? <laughs> yeah. Okay, then maybe you're not going to enjoy where the rest of this story is going. <laughs> and, but no, I wasn't thinking of you actually. Yeah. But um, and I told them exactly what I was using, and they were not able to produce the same results. And it's at that point you realise that there are a ton of things that you do before you even hit the shutter that are come from experience of okay, I want this result, so I have done this prior to taking the photograph even. Like a lot of the work happens before you've even pointed at the camera. It's true. And and you don't even realize that you're doing stuff like that until, you know, someone stops and says, wait, why did you just put that there? Why are you at this distance? Why are you using that for elevation? And, you know, 
it's it's all stuff that comes with experience and nothing that i've done um in life has ever come from um standing still but every time i've taken a chance and tried something which i was inside my anxiety is telling me don't do it you're not going to be good at it just just don't do it it's too hard i've always taken a leap and photography is like that too i mean a lot of times i've gone to sixo and said you know um, what would you recommend I do? And he actually put me on to using Lightroom and, and it was a complicated and brand new piece of software that I was daunted by, but it has completely changed the way I take photos. So yeah. it's about taking a risk and trying something new. You have to try something new regularly. It's a muscle that you have to exercise. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, and I think you're you're right. You're so right about all of the work that goes in before you even you know, press the shutter button or, or, or whatever button it is that's, you know, on, on your camera of choice. Um, and I think that's really something that a lot of people, I think that's something that you learn to realize over time. I think that's a, a, something that maybe when people start out taking pictures of robots or whatever, they don't realize all of the choices that they are making almost by default. You know, like, so if you are taking a picture with your bedspread in the background, that's a choice. You know, that's a con- conscious choice to include that backdrop or you're making a choice to have a coffee table or outside or you know you're you're going to buy loads of you know fancy dioramas or whatever it may be you know all of this is a choice so even you know if you're taking it with your laundry basket that's a choice and but there's there's more to it than that you know you're choosing lighting you are of course choosing composition you are of course choosing what you're putting in the photo as well which choice it is what you're you know how you're setting it up all of these things and photography really is presentation. So as, as you sort of said, Maz, it's all going in there. But then there's all of the little things that you've learned from beforehand as well. As I said, all of the mistakes that you've made prior uh, that are all informing how ultimately you want that photograph to look. And I think that's the thing that I would say was a big learning for me was that actually you control all of these elements. Everything in the final photograph you have decided on. And actually, in a way, pressing the button that says take the photograph now is the final thing it's almost <laughs> like it's all yeah. it's all there in the viewfinder when you look through and you see it you're like yes i'm good to go now click and it's done mm-hmm. uh, and i think that's possibly different to how people think about it at the start so uh, so liam how, how did you get into the whole robot photography gig to begin with uh it actually started as a excuse to sort of justify why I was buying so many toy robots that's, that's kind of how it how it began it's I just started because I was buying so many of them and they were just after a while they were just sort of going on the shelf and it you kind of wanted to get more play value out of them if that makes sense and like yeah, when, I was, when I was a kid I was so fascinated by you know the catalogs and the photos you would see and how they were posed and so when I was playing out with my toys I'd go in like old granny's gardens who had you know, little rock features and stuff and I'd set them up and I'd made them look like the catalogs and stuff like that. Wait, was so this were... your nan or just other yeah. grannies? No, my nan didn't have a garden. She spent all her money on toys for me. So so you would just find a random granny and, and use her garden? That was it, yeah. Find a gran. That's what it was. It goes, uh, <laughs> go gran hunting. This could all be true for all I know. Right? <laughs> yeah. I didn't just have one gran. I had a whole fleet of grands. <laughs> That's why I got so many toys. <laughs> but yeah, it, so it sort of started as a just kind of a desire to sort of recreate that kind of feeling and um it, it was just originally it was just on my phone and just for a laugh and then I was sort of looking at Maz's photos and that sort of started to then inspire me to do a little bit you know put more effort in 
and then started writing about them because it was a good excuse to sort of practice writing. That's really how it started. And what what would you say was the the kind of moment then that you kind of took the leap, I suppose, into more of kind of fully fledged photography? Because obviously, you, you know, sort of start off or whatever. When did it kind of come to the point where you were like, yeah, I actually enjoy this. This is the thing I want to do more of. Uh, well, it was. I can't remember that because it was building, but I can actually remember the exact moment of where I was when things did change. And that was, I was at Download and I was watching Ice T and Body Count on stage performing. <laughs> and then I, I got this text from sure. From, from, <laughs> no, that's what I was doing. I was getting very drunk. I was very, uh, you know, my memory might not be so great because of how much booze I take. <laughs> but I got a text from Morgan asking if I'd take some photos of of a toy. And then from there, everything just changed. It was that's that was the moment where things just then started going upwards. It went just from being just a la- a lock and a laugh, and then that's when I really started thinking I should put more effort into this. And that was nice. That was that moment. Yeah, fantastic. Well, and 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 look at you now. Do you know? What? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean, it, but it's but in, it's interesting to hear that you as well sort of. Um, uh, you haven't said it, but you're almost talking like you've got this, not imposter syndrome, that, I don't know, is that, oh, you yeah. kind of talked about it in the same way that Maz did almost, is that fair or? Oh no, yeah, absolutely, like, I always feel like my photos aren't real almost, like when I put them online, I like look at them and I can see all the flaws and stuff and I look at everyone else's and I think everyone else's just look perfect and then I look at my own and I'm like, oh. Yeah, just just waiting for that moment where you're found out and like, oh, yeah. this person is gonna say, all right, so this is the method you're using to get these photographic results. You know, but that's do, it. Like, I don't yeah. com- completely understand the camera that I'm using. I know, no, and, and I know what you all, mean. I don't understand completely Photoshop and Lightroom. Like, I use them and I have a mm. good working knowledge, but I feel like, like I was saying earlier, I feel like everybody else knows how to use everything on it, even mm-hmm. though they don't. That's just how my brain operates. Is I think everybody else must know. No, no, nobody knows everything. But... <laughs> But I, I I get that as well. Where I, I, there's a lot of photos that I look at that I'm not, you know, I do sometimes obviously share photos that I'm not 100% happy with. Do you know what I mean? But there are, um, Maz, you and I have said it before that sometimes you just need to go with it. Don't you? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you can work and work and work on something, but then at some point you just need to to know when it's time to press send. You know, and right. uh, there's or not, or just or, abandon or not, it, yeah. or not. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the, but there are definitely times where I take photos that I look back on and I think, wow, could have done that one better. Um, or, you know, galleries sometimes or whatever it may be that you get to the end of it and you're like, ah, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's perfectly, it's perfectly good. It's not how I necessarily wanted it to turn out, but mm-hmm. it, but it's good. It's fine. Um, so yeah, we all, we all get that. I'm sure. There's a lot to be said about being inspired. I remember um, when I was doing a lot of photography for third-party reviews uh, of third-party toys, uh, they were so back-to-back at one point that I realized it was kind of falling into a pattern and I would set up the photo shoots in the same way. And uh, I wasn't really finding the results inspiring. I mean, sure, they were well-lit and very clear. You could see the toy and you know the poses were fun and I, I'm, I was enjoying the toy. But I know when... I'm inspired because it's the moment when you can't sleep and it doesn't matter what else you had planned. You, you can't rest until you know you've produced the photo that's in your mind and you might spend two to three hours setting up one photograph, but it needs to be what you imagined. The one I remember is doing a um, fan's hobby, Grotesque, uh, which was FlyPro. I mean, I could not produce more than one photo a day for that gallery because 
I wanted to try something completely wacky for every single one. And it would just take ages to set up. Maybe it just wouldn't work out and I'd abandon it. But that felt inspired and it was so much easier to produce photos under those circumstances, even though the volume of output was much less. I was so much happier with the quality uh, as opposed to just me doing the same thing as a formula over and over again. So being inspired is, is a big thing as well. Yeah, definitely. I think you have to be on a roll with it. There are days where I I try and take photographs of something. And honestly, I I now I try and listen to the little inner voice, you know, that that is um that's trying to be honest with me that says you're not enjoying this or this is mm-hmm. not happening. Yeah. And because I didn't used to do that. I used to try and push on regardless. And then what happens is you get to the end of the day or the end of the the session and you sit and look at the photographs and you think these are not that great, you know, and it, and it's because you haven't listened to that little voice, I think. Whereas I think if it ever is an option, if it feels like it's not going the way that you want it to, to just abandon it and come back to it another time, I have found that to be quite beneficial as well. And sometimes I think it's just like, if there's other stuff going on, do you know what I mean? Or just frustration that, you know, you can't get it looking the way it, it, you want it to. Sometimes for me, I find some toys very fiddly, you know, and if you can't, manipulate them in the exact way that you want them to that's hugely irritating and uh you know that that's something that you might want to walk away from all of these things yeah you know when you've got it right because you can't wait to get the memory card out of the camera into the computer and see it come up on on your post processing software i can't wait to see how this turned out that's when you know you've kind of you're you're in the zone at that point it's when your mind's already like three steps ahead and you're thinking of all the effects you're putting, all the different bit things, elements and all that. You're already mentally preparing them. It's not a chore at that stage. Editing is not a chore when you're not thinking like, oh, I've got 150 photo gallery to slog through. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I can't It goes easy, yeah. yeah. But that, that kind of goes back to what we, what we were saying before about a lot of this is in your mind's eye, isn't it? Because I, I do think, and this was another thing actually that I was taught before robot photography someone said this to me that actually the camera is just a tool you know it's just there to uh produce with your input the image that you already see in your brain so in that regard you know it's just it's a tool like a hammer you know you when you put up a shelf you know what the shelf is going to look like but you don't kind of credit the hammer with putting it up if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and in that regard you know the camera is a bit like that you, you already know what you want the photo to look like. All you've got to do is manipulate all of the different elements and take the photo in a way that it looks like what you want it to. Um, and then, you know, that's where the excitement comes from because you're seeing that image that was in your brain finally kind of produced, you know, on screen. So I, I totally recognize that. And I think what you said about, you know, kind of ripping the SD card out the, out the old camera, mm-hmm. I've had that many, many times where I'm just like, I cannot wait to to get this uh, you know, and to share it as well, to get it, you know, sometimes to just share it with other people and be like, look at what I produced. And then it gets like three likes. <laughs> so I was just say that. <laughs> you know, no one yeah. comments on it. And you're like, cool. I really, I really like that one. But hey, yeah. <laughs> some of my favorite photographs down the years have, um, you know, I think maybe I'm one of two or three people who appreciated them. Yeah. And, and I'm still happy with them. But that's just, you know, that's down to taste and like what you see in your mind, your creative processes and your influences that dictate what you think makes a robot look good in what surroundings, what angles. Maybe there's a reference that nobody got, you know. Uh, so yeah, that that can happen. That's a regular yeah, one. 100%. I'm still to this day amazed by some of the photos that do well of mine online versus some of the ones that I actually really like that people just kind of overlook. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> I wonder what it was then. But I think that's, 
that's really interesting as well. That's not something that I'd really thought to talk about much today, but I find it fascinating which photos do well sometimes. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of the time it is just about the toy as opposed to the photo. Yeah, toy definitely does a lot of the work. I mean, that's why 20 years ago when I was doing article photography and I would take a photo of a of a toy, people would say that's an amazing photograph. It wasn't an amazing photograph. It was maybe just that the toy took up most of the frame and it was a really nice looking toy and their focus is drawn to that toy and maybe they'd never seen it in focus before without any visual debris around the outside. So the actual resolution of the image isn't crazy high. There's no beautiful shadows or lighting or mood or atmosphere, but they're looking at that toy. Toy is something they desire and they think, oh, it's an amazing photo. I've saved that. It's my, you know, it's my desktop background now. And it's the item doing 99% of the work. Yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely a bit of that. You definitely see that as well in the way we consume the media now as well. Like we're saying through Twitter and Instagram, it is a lot of people just scrolling up really fast, isn't it? So all they see is that toy. Because I always notice it's always, if I had to put a picture of something I've just taken for eBay on Instagram or Twitter, it gets more likes than the ones you've composed. And it's because people aren't, I don't think they're always looking at the full shot that you've composed and all the different elements. They are, like you said, there. there's a toy in the middle of a frame and they see that and that's why they're clicking the button. Definitely. I, the, the bit that makes me laugh, every it happened uh, recently actually with a couple of Vinyl Tech pictures. I posted a picture of uh, two Vinyl Tech toys that I'd got in. It was RC and LaserWave, just in the box, just on my stairs, just took a quick phone camera snap of them in the box. And I, can't, I don't know what numbers it did. I can't remember, but it was like, it was enough that I went, well, okay, a lot of people really like that. And then I uh, spent considerable time setting up a photo shoot, took some nice pictures of them, edited it, all of that, added watermarks, put them online, and they didn't do as much numbers as the box photo. And that's just the way it rolls sometimes, but it is hilarious. It's still an element of it that I find kind of fascinating. Box photos <laughs> always go down really well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because ultimately, like Twitter and Facebook are not designed to be photograph appreciation platforms, are they? It's not like Flickr was set up to be. So you will still get people who use Twitter and Facebook as just, you know, really quickly digestible, uh, consumable platform of media that people have shared. And uh, they won't pay that close attention to the kind of thing you've put together. You know, how many people are they following? How many minutes do they have to look through their feed? Are they going to notice that incredibly awesome reference you put in the background of a picture or the lighting you use to recreate a scene? If it's not immediately recognizable, then yeah, that could fall on deaf eyes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, good one. Uh, I think it's, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's also about how stuff presents in thumbnails and all of that kind of stuff and, you know, how immediately mm. kind of eye-catching it is. And there's, there's a lot of that. And, and as you said, you know, Liam, you know, box photography always does well. It just seems to be something that people really like, um, which is weird because it's something that for me is just like the quickest and you know, easiest thing to do. That's just literally a box on a staircase and slap a photo up, you know? But, but you compose the photo, don't you? You make you sure do, that the, yeah, the box yeah. is not a dodgy angle. There's not oh, yeah. a reflection in the plastic window that doesn't let yeah. you see the contents. You know, your cat's tail isn't in the photo, or if it is, you make a thing of it. And it's still like, there's a thought process behind that quote unquote, quick and dirty picture. Always. And I guess that, I guess that comes back to what we were saying before was that there is all of the, learning from previous photos still with something like that you know yes it's a quick two minute or not two second photo that i'm just taking of a new item on the stairs but there's still all of the learning of like okay so 
where on the stairs actually looks best, you know, where's the mm. best light and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's still there's still a learning there and there's still a thought process and there's still a consideration. It's just, you know, not all of the kind of um I suppose intensive work that maybe goes into a more sort of studio style thing, uh is which is really interesting. But I think sometimes people don't even realise that um some of us do photographs on phones and things as well. Do mm. you think that's do you think that's fair? I think it's obvious when I do phone camera photography. Do you think? But yeah, but I think maybe that's because I've painted myself into such a formulaic corner with what my studio photographs look like. Of, all right, because of the background. It's and, just yeah, so yeah. obvious. But you know what? Just on the subject of box photography, one thing I've learned is to appreciate photographers who can take a photo of a toy's box and have it be completely straight. Every time I think yeah. I've got it, yeah. I look at That's the photo true. and go, oh, it's angled this way. Oh, now I've got to rotate the image now. Oh, no, that bit's like the perspective's wrong. It's really hard to the point where I just angle them deliberately now <laughs> so as to not fail yeah. at doing it straight. I tend to angle them for that reason because, yes, it is very hard to get them straight on. And uh, I've got to say, Unem Studios is an expert at getting them straight. Is he really? Yeah, he's, he's an excellent photographer anyway. Yeah. But... He's really, really good at getting those... Um, the G1 boxes or third party, whatever it is, just it looks like a proper stock photo in terms of how straight it is in the frame. I was going to ask uh, later on, actually, you know, if there were any particular photogra- photographers in the community that, you know, you guys really admired, but Unem for one, uh, Unicron Nemesis for me is one that I really enjoy his photos a lot. I, I find the way that he lights them, um, you know, and, and he's very consistent with his black backgrounds, but the mm. way that he lights them and the way that he presents the toys, I think is uh it's it's very kind of obviously it's a particular style but it's just i don't know there's something incredibly eye-catching about them and i find he has a way of presenting the toys in full frame within the the confines of what you know within the dimensions of the photograph itself such that you see everything you know you Mm. see all of the various features like if it's robot mode or alternate mode or whatever it is he just has a, a nice way of displaying them such that you really feel like you can appreciate the toy just in this one image. Yeah, agreed. So what about you, Sixer? How did you get into toy photography? Uh, well, it was sort of by accident. I mean, I had done some DSLR photography beforehand. Uh, I'd done a course, actually, a photography course my wife uh, bought for me for birthday present, and that was years ago now. Um, but really loved it. And I had wanted to get into it. I had sort of dabbled you know, on holidays and things like that with wanting to get into photography. My stepfather does a lot of photography. He's actually uh, now, he's retired from from work work and does, you know, actually now make, um, I wouldn't say amazing money, but, you know, he's got a bit of a sideline, you know, doing nature photography, he takes photos of uh, birds and insects and all kinds of stuff. And he's, I mean, his photos are insanely good, has to be said, insanely good for, for that arena. It's incredible um and uh yeah so i always had an interest in it and a passion for it and then i think it was 2014 i think i shared the first toy image and i even remember what it was and it was just a camera phone um uh, image and it was um feral rex mmc feral rex and that was the I first sh- photo you shared yeah even yep. before like masterpiece toys yeah i'd never i'd never shared oh, any well I, I, other than I mean, maybe like what I what a non-considered photo. That was the first one where I was like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, really make an effort with this. Mm. Um, yeah, and I'd just never really done it before. Just never really kind of fussed with it. Um, and shared a picture on uh, TFW 2005 and um, got some nice feedback. 
started sharing more pictures and then yes shared a lot of masterpiece pictures uh, i remember sharing pictures of uh like mp11 and things like that um and even before that actually like you know mp6 skywarp and and i remember then uh, kind of sharing more and more was uh, it scoria had... one of your earliest ones i got yeah i got a couple of third party bits scoria quake wave i remember your scoria images yeah i definitely um, remember some of your dino pictures yeah, yeah. And well, then it just kind of went from there. And initially, they were just kind of around the house. Um, and then, you know, the carpet kind of became a thing, like shared of it. That was a whole interesting time. So just sharing, you know, just taking pictures literally on my stairs. But then I started experimenting with using, you know, better lights and things like that. Because initially, I had, uh, you know, if it was during the day, I had a lot of light in that part of the house. There's like a big skylight at the top. So, you know, it's it's actually very decent for photography. And actually, I do say to people now, when they're talking about buying lots of expensive lighting and things, I do say to people, you know, do you have big windows or yeah. natural light? To natural magic. light. Yeah. I- exactly. It's just if you do, maybe get going with that first and see how you go, you know. Um, but yeah, just got cracking with that, really. And lot, lots of people were very kind and left me left me nights comments and i thought this is kind of fun and i'm really enjoying this and it just kind of snowballed from there and i think the first um kind of gig i got if you like was um was kapow toys actually saying to me do you want to take some pictures of uh, masterpiece tracks um and i was already doing had already done some reviews and bits of my own before that um but that was the first kind of um one where i was like yes i absolutely would if you'd like to you know like to do that that sounds good and uh yeah did did a gallery of that and um it just kind of went from there really um so yeah it, it it sort of snowballed very quickly um but i've evolved obviously my setup considerably since then uh and don't tend to do photos around the house so much anymore uh, a lot of you know a lot of people were sad to see the carpet days go um but it had to happen um but yeah absolutely love it Absolutely love doing it. I, I get a great thrill from doing it even now. I like this, the origin story of 6.0. <laughs> you mentioned a couple of things there, actually, which uh, struck a chord with me. First of all, the, the being inspired by a family member. It actually made me remember that my brother was very much, or is very much into photography. And I have a couple of canvases around the house that both my wife and I fell in love with that we got made from his photos that he took nice. outdoors and there's like a, a beautiful photo of the inside of a really old tube train that we we have up in our kitchen, which is lovely because that reminds me of London at a time when I can't get to London. And he had a beautiful uh, photo that he took on Myrtle Beach in uh, in the US. So his photography always, you know, you know, it was nice to have someone like him to sort of bounce off, like, you know, what do you think of this photo? And so he, he was actually an influence. Now that I think about it, and also the whole thing about natural light is um, enormous as well nearly half the photos I took of all of my Diaclone toys when I wrote articles for TF1 were taken in an apartment which had a massive window. And uh, all I used to do was uh, close the blind to not totally flood the picture. But I just had a background and um, the natural light from the window did all the work in those photographs. And it was only when I got a light tent that I started to um, to not use the big window anymore. And obviously not every apartment that we live in has had that kind of natural light. It's quite amazing going the difference though, isn't it? Moving from natural light to lighting at first when you've got your first bulbs and stuff. I remember again, like like you're saying about the cameras, almost being disappointed at first because natural light was so good. Yeah. And it made things so easy. Well once true. you get once you get control over it yourself, it's actually quite difficult to get into, isn't it? And it's it's still one of the things I still struggle mm. with now most is lighting. You know, um, yeah. 
when I set up the light tent sometimes, uh, when I was doing it in the living room, if it's in the daytime and, you know, there are periods of the year in Iceland where it's just daylight and uh, the, the natural light would come in and I would just take photos with my lamps as well. And the, the difference it made to have natural light in there as well was quite amazing. And I just actually posted a couple of photos uh, the other day of uh, J5, a rail spike from car robots or robots in disguise. And there was one photo which I took with the lamps and the normal setup. And there was another photo I took which had completely just been done with the ambient light in the room. And I just turned on the light on his gun. And uh, the colors in the background, I'm not even sure I could replicate it. They just looked really beautiful gradient of it almost looked synth wavy it was just uh, i was so happy with it i just felt like i had to post it even though the focus maybe wasn't as crisp as the studio photo with the lights but your natural light is just, just magic yeah it's it's really something and it does as you said it just brings out the colors and loads of stuff in just a way that is unimaginable um and i think that was a big element of my photography early on you know was that 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 natural light and a lot of people would say oh the colors and things like that but it was just that ultimately mm-hmm. Um, the the one real downfall of natural light is that it's so inconsistent. So you can, mm-hmm. you know, from one hour to the next or or whatever, it can completely change. So if you're doing a full photo gallery or you're, you know, aiming to get shots that look fairly consistent in whatever way, you just can't bank on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and equally, there's a lot of times where, particularly in those days where I was doing a lot of natural light photography, where you would think, okay, I'm going to take some pictures now. And you get set up and the light would just go, and mm-hmm. you, it would suddenly go really dark or whatever, and you just think, okay, well that's over then. And um, <laughs> it's you know it's annoying, but uh, that was uh, that was pre-children though, so the the time wasn't quite so precious. To be fair, right. it was kind of like you can come back to it a little bit later or whatever. Uh, whereas now that would be like a disaster because if that time goes, it's like okay, something else is going on in the house or whatever. But uh, but yeah, hugely inconsistent with natural light. But still, it's the results when it's when it all aligns and the, the, the heavens decide that the light is going to be perfect for you. It's incredible. Yeah, um, some of my favorite photos of my own are the ones I took outside when conditions just yeah. conspired to be beautiful for a particular toy. Uh, th- those are definitely my favorites, and that actually makes me feel like a photographer. No, not the stuff I do indoors that just feels like me taking photos of toys and. But when I've taken photos of uh, Fans Hobby Overlord or uh, Diaclone Big Powered and they were outdoors amongst some, you know, maybe some grass or some snow and it didn't just look like I'd plonked a toy in the snow, uh, I really enjoyed that. And it made me feel like this is what I would like to move to next if if it was possible time-wise and yeah. condition-wise. That would be, And I've always kind of uh, harbored a fantasy of going out into the lava here and and taking photos amongst lava and what ice and dust off. I'd love to if, if it was possible. I saw I saw your fan hobby overlord snow picture or one of them the other day actually somewhere. I can't remember how I came across it, um, but I saw it and I and I remember thinking, wow, it's a really nice image. Really I appreciate really, that. Really Thank good. Thank you photo. very much. Loved uh, it. No, really enjoyed doing it. Definitely, definitely. Uh, They've got like know. a I think hundreds of different types of snow in Iceland. They've got a name for all the different types of snow. And it was that particular snow that day, when you really focused and got up close, it was crystalline. And it I was, was just going to say, amazing. Yeah, cri- that wasn't cri- added in post. That's what it looked like. Crystalline was the word I was going to use. It almost looks not real. You know, it's it's interesting. Oh. But, I, I, but I also know how DSLRs can make things look right. not real as well. <laughs> you know, it's, sometimes you take a picture of something 
load it up and you're like wow that's got a really weird quality to it um would you say metallic yeah <laughs> yeah maybe so maybe a filter yeah well that's the secret you know that yeah. is the secret one, yeah you just one have to button, one button yeah. You got to pay for it. It's a special plugin you get to Photoshop and all photo programs, actually. And it's just yeah. called Metallic Filter. You just press one button, and it completely transforms your image. It, and it does. It makes your toys look shiny. It, it can make a very, very bad photo suddenly look exactly like you want it to. It does all the it work can, for you? It's incredible. It can take someone with no photographic talent and elevate their photos to a level of um, review standard. Yeah, that was such a funny old business. I guess for the benefit of people that are not clued into the whole metallic filter uh, saga, I don't know what you'd call it really, but the, the, whole, the whole thing it kind of snowballed, didn't it, from a silly a silly thing online to some people, uh, I think, questioning uh, what had gone into making. Uh, it was my photos, wasn't it? It was some originally, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was some of mine initially. Um, to the point I, where when I got it leveled at me I actually felt like it was a compliment <laughs> <laughs> and I was like I've, I've reached that point now <laughs> people think I'm using a metallic filter yes it was it was hilarious and it kind of um, I think it started with it was a third party toy and I think I got accused of manipulating the colour on it um, and it someone was the red wasn't it, it, was like it made it look a really cherry red yeah, well, was oh, well, I, think, I can't. I don't think it was actually. I think the particular photo. I think it was a six shot, and I think it was the green. And someone said, "Oh, oh you've right. you've made it look blue instead of green, or green instead of blue, or something." I can't remember. But um, uh, but the the I remember saying back, "Oh, it's the lighting," and they questioned that, and they didn't agree with that, and thought that that was a silly thing, and that I was lying, or I don't know what they thought. But um, there was a lot of um weird accusations going around at that time and then the, this whole thing of metallic filter came up that oh you're using a filter to make them look metallic yeah don't and, trust that person's photographs that's not the way the toy looks yeah there was a lot of that and it was it was interesting because it was like well i've never set out to make photos that are like hyper realistic do you know what i mean that like are look exactly like the toy looks that's never been the aim because the very nature of dslr photography is that they're going to look a bit stylized and whatever you know you're playing with focus you're playing with lots of elements and the way that the light is captured has a huge difference as well also white balance which you know makes all the difference in terms of the colors and how they're captured i mean Mm -hmm. i um typically do set the white balance for for most you know not for every individual photo but for certainly for different setups you know i have a setup of um like a road setup which because it's got a kind of greenish um tint to it it tends to to kind of capture you know it tends to reflect onto the toys and things like that and so i have to change the white balance for that because otherwise it all just looks very green mm-hmm. and by the logic of you know the example that we're talking about you you know maybe you would think that i'd made the toys look green you know so i have to kind of correct that but I do that in camera, interestingly, um, not in post. But, you know, you can do it in post as well. But that's, um, it was just funny because it was trying to explain, actually, no, there's there's nothing, there's no underhand, weird, nefarious aim here. It's just, you know, the, the, the toys look different under different styles of photography. And I think I shared a picture of uh, under a phone camera and they were like, oh, it's a different color. And I'm like, well, yeah, the lighting is different as well, <laughs> you know, and it's, I don't know. It, it was a, it was a long time ago, but it, but from that metallic filter was born, and I, I think uh, a lot of people sort of assumed that we were using this 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I was I don't know. insulted by more. It, was it the fact that it was you are? It was an accusation that you're actually trying to achieve some kind of agenda by making it look unlike it really is, and therefore that's a bad thing because you're not an honest person. And I suppose that was amplified when these were review photographs. Whereas just trying to say, no, that that's what the toy looks like to me. And you're seeing a very big contrast between the darkest and the lightest areas, possibly yeah. because I'm not that good of a photographer that I can't change that. Or it was the accusation that it was one click <laughs> that <laughs> made your photos look good. It's like, no, hang on a minute. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was weird. I've often, but I've had that a couple of times over the years where people question the motives behind, you know, me doing these photos. It's it's the not photos the only time toys. it's... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is always a weird one to me because I'm like, you know what? I'm just some dude that is trying to take nice pictures of toys. There's nothing, uh, you know, there's nothing underhand about it. There's no secret agenda, you know, put the tinfoil hats down because it's like, I, I don't know what you think is going on here. And um, I mean, I, you know, I've had people accuse me of being, you know, I don't know, showered in riches from third party companies and things like that. And it's like, that that is not... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just imagine it, really. I, I just I mean, can't been... wait for the third party episode when we talk yeah. about the, the whole, That's a whole other scene. topic. I'm a whole other topic. When people, if people realise how unglamorous, how unglamorous that is yeah. in reality, it's just you know. But I mean, that's a whole other, a whole other thing. But it's it's funny, I guess. And I guess I can understand it. You know, you see glossy photos of, of toys or whatever, and maybe you think, hey, my my toy in hand doesn't look like that. Why is that? Yeah. That's maybe, another thing, isn't it? That whole, that. Um, how many times have you received a comment where you... The thing is, like, when I take a photograph of a toy, I know in my head how I want it to look. And that's probably influenced by a bunch of cartoons I've watched, comics I've read, and art I like. And I think when people draw robots from a particular angle that makes their, I don't know, their waist look like it's thrust forward or their shoulders are wider or their head is in perspective or they've really... You know, there's a shadow on this part of it. And I think that looks really cool. I'm going to try and recreate that. And if I manage to succeed in recreating what's in my head, people may sometimes say, I've got that toy and I'm holding it in my hand and it doesn't look as good as in your photograph. But it's not necessarily always an accusation that something underhand has taken place. I can see that the lighting is normal, that the toy is the right color and it is the same toy that they've got. And I've not added a filter to it or after effects or anything like that. And they're just like, it's almost like by holding the toy in your hand, do you not sometimes do that with a robot you've got in your hand? You just sort of hold it up at an angle and you look yeah. at it from below and you think, you know, if this robot was real, this is how cool it would look. And I remember photography of third-party products, it wasn't until I saw the Fans Project Insecticons and they had their legs fanned out in a really um, realistic fashion that suddenly I was like, whoa, is that what third parties can do? They can make toys that look like that. But it was just the fact that the the photo, the photographer had posed the toy in a way that sort of clicked with me. It's like, that's how cool robots should look. And yeah, it's definitely. being done on a transformer. Wow, you know, it's like when you see those Studio Ox um, artwork of transformers and it's so high class and it's so different to what, you know, the cartoons look like. They mm. weren't always the best presentation, but then you'd see serious art take on that's why call of the primitives is sometimes such a cool episode for people because the art style was so different to everything else and you think okay that's how good transformers can look so that's, yeah. a, that's a whole thing about people saying oh it doesn't look my toy doesn't look the way you've 
presented it in a photograph. But, but you know, a bad thing. Photography is no, it's not at all. And but photography is hugely. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It ma- it makes a major difference in terms of how things are presented. But all of it is again, all of it is a choice. Is is exactly what we were saying before. Every little bit that you change in terms of how you photograph a toy, and not just DSLR fancy photography, but even like you know just um, phone photography, whatever. It all makes a difference. I mean, the best example I can give currently is those Kingdom Galvatron leaks that have come out because everybody was losing their minds over the proportions of that toy because they thought at one stage that it looked uh you know like hugely big body tiny little legs and massive head and that was kind of the first picture that came out and everybody was like oh my god it looks terrible Mm. and then a couple of people were like "Mm, hang on i think it's actually just the the photography you know it's that someone's taken it from a slightly wide angle from a top angle as well so you're seeing everything kind of curved out but because it's taken from top down you know it's really accentuating the head and making mm. it's it's distorting and making the legs look smaller but then there was another photo released which was kind of the reverse you know it's taken from a downward angle but again with that kind of slightly fisheye wide angle thing going on and it made the legs look huge and the the upper body was much smaller and people were going okay this is the real proportions of the toy now so the photograph that you saw before was wrong and this is and i saw it people going this is what the actual toy looks like mm. and doing comparisons of the two but then actually it turned out that neither of them were really representative that it was somewhere in between and for me it was a great example of um whether that was done by design you know whoever had that toy um the, you know through whatever means in hand whether it was by design that they put out photos to kind of perplex people or whatever they were doing or it was just simply that they had um a default setting that happened to be a little bit wide angle on their camera and they just took a couple of pictures and and you know the, the result was not intended um you know it, it just showed that actually how you photograph these things makes all the difference and mm-hmm. saying i think it doesn't look like it does in hand it's never really going to, you know, like unless you just take a straight on picture at a, uh, you know, a, a, well, what I would call a neutral millimeter on your, your camera, you know, not wide angle, not zoomed in, but you know, that you just kind of get it absolutely is considered to be like neutral for your eye. That really, you'd have to consciously shoot it in that way mm-hmm. to have it look like it does in hand. Anything outside of that, it's going to look different. The, the, but even then, you know, the colors, take it in sunlight versus taking it indoors. People do that all the time. And of course, it's not going to be the same color because the, the quality of the light is going to make a difference as well. It's just, and, it's and the way you pose it. Yeah. And the way you yeah. pose, of course. Because there is a way that you can pose toys that kind of brings them to life and they look more realistic. Um, proportions are better. I mean, I've seen so many photographs where people have posed masterpiece toys, but they don't even remember to flatten the feet against the surface or, on which the toy is standing. So it immediately breaks your immersion. Yeah. And, uh, and that's just a very, very easy thing to do. Like you were talking about this head-on image at a neutral distance. Well, just if you separate the legs a little bit, point the toes out, make sure it's flat on the surface, the arms are in a natural position, the head is focused, where well, the robot looks cool. You know, some people probably maybe don't even have the ability to physically manipulate the toy in their hands to pose that naturally. And I've seen it in the photographs that people take, um, which they share online about like, I just got this toy and you know, it's not always representative of how good a toy can look. And maybe that's why sometimes there's a discrepancy between what people think you're doing and what, what they've got in their own hands. 
Maybe so. I think I think all of that stuff comes with practice, though, doesn't it? And mm. it's once you get into, once you kind of make a conscious choice of like, okay, I'm going to do toy photography, you know, and take some pictures, you you start to pick up a lot of that stuff fairly quickly, I think. And it's again, it's kind of trial and error, isn't it, of what works, what doesn't work, uh, and kind of the feedback that you get and everything as well. Uh, I think ankle tilts and stuff is is a really interesting one now because I can't abide. Uh, sometimes taking pictures of toys without ankle tilts mm. and things like that. You know what you were saying about flat-footed and all of that. I find it really difficult now. Um, but, you know, it's still uh, uh, still a thing sometimes. But, yeah, I think it, it it is interesting how different those toys can look depending on what people do with them and mm-hmm. what choices they make um, behind the camera of how they're going to present them. Do you remember that phase Hasbro went through where they started moulding all of the feet at an angle mm-hmm. so that they were posed to look more natural, weren't they? Rather than give them ankle tilts and all of that. Yeah, I'm trying to think what the first toy line I bought well, I remember was experienced. Combiner Wars would have been that, wouldn't it? Were some animated toys like that as well? TF animated. I, I think they were. I think that's the first time I experienced it. Um Myself was with some animated toys. Yeah, the deluxe version of the Optimus Prime, the Cybertronian Optimus Prime, has the angled feet. Maybe that's where they first turned up. I remember them being quite prevalent in Combiner Wars. All of the limbs have yeah, the feet yeah. like that. Prowl is one I especially remember from Combiner Wars, like really stood out. I I'm really, really disliking that. that. I think yeah. I really disliked that originally. I was like, no, 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 allow me the opportunity to to do that. But then obviously, let me ruin it for myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've not really come across that. It sounds so weird. Well, yeah. an, another toy that has it is um, Robots in Disguise Warrior Class Bisque. I'm, I'm looking at him right now. I just want to shout out to yeah. I've got a shout out to anonymous human who sent me this for free. You know, he gifted me a Warrior Class Bisque. It's not a simple toy to find these days, so I'm greatly appreciative. Thank you so much. And this has uh, flip out feet, which are you know molded at an angle. So pretty much, there's only a very small window of um, posability that you can use where the feet look natural. Uh, if you go too wide, obviously they're not completely flat against the surface. And if you try and do uh, G1 legs completely straight, they're obviously not angled right for that kind of posing. So yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a thing, the whole uh, angle cut on, on feet and robots. Yeah, it was very, very prevalent in Combiner Wars. Just remember, every single Deluxe is essentially the same, aren't they? But they've all got them same angled feet. I wonder what was happening there for a minute. I, I wonder if that was suddenly like a, a little sponsor section or something that you were doing that you were going to talk about bisque and that it was going to be like, <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor, lobsters. <laughs> yeah. I, I was sort of like sitting there in mild curiosity of what was going on. No, I just want to say thanks because, you know, it's it's a big deal when someone sends you a toy for free. You know, it's, um, I'm, you know, it, it's an amazing thing that people would just do that, isn't it? Just That's incredible. You know, Very generous. Yeah. Transformers aren't cheap. It's not a cheap hobby, you know, and uh, you can really make a difference to someone just by sending them a toy. I, I do actually, this is unrelated, but I remember a good friend of mine in the hobby once, um, you know, some home truths. I'd been in the hobby for a little while and, you know, I'd gotten into collecting quite expensive stuff. And he just uh, said, do you remember back when you first joined? Like, we would just send each other stuff for free. I was like, hey, this is a really cool toy I picked up. I really think you should have it. You know, how long has it been since you've actually done that? since and he wasn't trying to cast shade on me for not being generous but it, it was a thing like you can lose sight that this is a hobby where people interact with each other and 
you know, you, you share this space with people and it's supposed to be enjoyable and it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that we all do this for fun and it's not just about no, accumulation really of, of things. So, sorry, a bit of a bit sidetracked there, but um, no, no I wanted but, uh, to say thank for the Bix. Thank you for Bisk. <laughs> I, th- I think actually it's not that far off topic because if anything, it kind of plays into the whole photography thing as well, you know, because mm. uh, there is an element of, so what we said earlier, isn't it? You could be really standoffish about it. And, you know, when people ask questions or whatever it is, you know, just kind of not want to answer them. But I feel like all three of us are very happy to do that. I mean, certainly we, we've talked about it in the past and said about, you know, some of the, the the kind of questions that people do ask, you know, kind of common questions and things like that. I mean, the, the number of times I've been asked, you know, what equipment you use, stuff like that. And that's, I, I guess in some ways, that's partly why we talked about doing this episode as well was because mm. it just felt like a kind of nice point to kind of address some of that. And um, I think I think when you have something that, if you know, whatever it is that, that people seem to kind of respond to within the community, it's nice to talk about it and share information and things like that. I've had people in the past send me toys uh, of, from their own collection, really rare stuff. Uh, best example I can remember is a, is a microchange blue bumblebee, which is a multi-thousand dollar toy these days. He just sent it to me and said, it would probably help your article if, if you had photos of this. And, and that has happened and that's been amazing. And then the, like wow. one dude a couple of years ago, a really good friend, he sent me um, a sealed G1 Transform and he said, you're not going to pay for that. I just want to see your photos and I want you to have that because you'll do it justice. And for someone who suffers imposter syndrome, to, to receive a gift like that is quite like, this is this is too much almost it took yeah. me almost a year to take that toy out of the shipping box and actually do photos of it so uh, I'm, cl- I'm clearly doing something wrong here because people are not sending me all of these free toys <laughs> <laughs> you're like uh you, you're drowning in one over there mate what's going on yeah i'm, I'm drowning in something Snow. <laughs> yeah I can only Beast. imagine at the moment with a, i was gonna say with the new mcdonald's baby, changeables <laughs> mini <Yeah>. spice <laughs> what is it this week take your pick KRX trains. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing, but it's true. Right. Well, one other thing I wanted to ask about today was how you felt your photography, your toy photography, has evolved over the years. Uh, and, uh, you know, from, from whatever it may be behind the scenes, you know, that people might not perceive or just kind of the stylistic choices that you've made. Uh, Liam, how about you? Oh, man, it's changed dramatically like when i look back at some of my earlier pictures i cringe i don't know if either of you get that like uh, yes yes yeah <laughs> but like the the difference then and it's it's weird how you don't see it at the time in the same way as you do years later and it's just like when i started out it was so much of it was just to have a grown-up excuse to play with toys and as i've got older and i take photos with a dslr and all this stuff now and compose the shots it's just every everything I do is completely different but in some ways it's still based around the same idea if that makes sense because it's still just an excuse to get more time with these toys because when you're a kid and you got a toy you played with it didn't you for ages and what have you as a grown-up you don't you open it you transform a few times probably chuck it on some shelf to get dust on or whatever and so yeah taking photos is just a great way to make these things last days weeks and stuff and you know and so through that, I've developed so many different photography skills, even though I do feel like an imposter. I've learned so much, and it's just it's tra- transformed. Ha, ha, ha. How I, t- how I take photos. And so, yeah, I just think it's changed massively. I think um, it's interesting, actually, because 
I think sometimes, you know, when you get to know someone else's photography really well and yeah. you, you see it daily, you know, for over years and years and whatever. Uh, this is probably true with both of you, actually, uh, at, at separate times. But then it's not until you look back at a photo that that person took, let's say, five years prior or whatever, that you suddenly realized how much they have evolved. You just, in my head, Liam, like your photos have always looked as good as they do now. Not that they ever looked okay, bad. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just yeah. saying that, you know, clearly there has been an evolution with all of us. But like I, uh, I think I recently, for doing some episode artwork or something, we were looking for some of your pictures and I came across some of your older ones. And I was really um, like stunned actually, just how different they do look. Do you know what I mean? Even just from a few years back or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, you're, you're clearly like your trajectory or whatever for how you, you kind of approached it all is, is quite incredible. Um, oh, but uh, well, again, that's not me saying what you've ever done. I've <laughs> got to be kind of, you know, trying to word it in the right way. Cause that's yeah. not me at all saying what you ever did was bad, but it's just, I think it's important to acknowledge that we're all of us, aren't we on a learning curve? Uh, you know, whether you've been doing it six months or six years, you know, you still kind of learn something new every day. Uh, and Maz, you know, you can see the same with yours as well, to be fair. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right there. Um, comparing photos to older photos and uh, seeing the standard that, well, I mean, it, it's a funny thing to say, but I, I think like with your photos, Sixo, they started off at an extremely high standard already. And uh, I think it's a standard that very many people in the hobby would love to have achieved. And that's your starting standard from years yeah. ago on the carpet with natural light simply because the photos were so incredibly striking. Now, whether you look at that and see technical details that you're unhappy with and ways you can polish it is is entirely how you work as an artist. But to look at photos from like even myself or Liam or lots of other people and to see that their photos now are as good as that or or better and you know than the starting position of an already very talented photographer shows you how far people have come. And, and that's really an amazing thing to see as well. I don't really think, uh, I don't know if it's true for you guys, but I don't think you could even be doing this today if you hadn't noticed an improvement in your work. You know, the, yeah. the motivation wouldn't yeah. be there. It's just the fact you that you, and you have to be honest and say that you're looking at your own photos and you're recognizing that your own work has improved massively, which is what inspires you to continue and try new things. And that improvement gives you confidence to try something kind of outrageous maybe, like whether it's using these really cool backgrounds or dioramas or investing in cool things to put in your photographs because you believe you can make it work now because you've come such a long way. Yeah, I think that's hugely true. And um, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely, I look back at a lot of my older stuff, actually early uh, robot stuff, and I, I cringe to high heaven. Honestly, there are photos that I just would not share now because uh, I can just see things that I did wrong at the time or, you know, some of it is circumstantial, you know, I can look at it and think, okay, I didn't have the lighting then, or I didn't have this or, you know, technical aspects that would have made it easier. But there's a lot that is just mistakes that I made as well, you know, so it's very kind what you're saying, Maz, but but equally, you know, I do cringe about a lot of that early photography, Um, you know, just by sort of, I suppose, looking back at it, really, Um, I, I tend not to a lot. Uh, and it, I guess it's interesting because in some ways, um, and I know this is probably true of all of us, you kind of build up this library of photos, don't you, that, from over the years. But actually the reality is, is that you only ever want to post the, the, the sort of newer 
ones because you look yeah. back at a lot of the older ones and think, well, it's not as good as it as I could do now. You know, I could do better. Um, and I find that I'm forever it's not as good sort of almost. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I, I find that I'm sort of like forever almost not like retaking the same shots, but I'm forever doing new photos of toys that I've previously photographed, you know, just because I'm like, well, you know, I, I look at the old ones and I think I don't want to share that anymore. Um, so, but mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you're, you're right, Maz, that it's self-improvement and acknowledging what you've done well, but acknowledging what you've got wrong is, is yeah. hugely important. Liam, what would you say is the single, what has made the single biggest difference in your improvement in your photos? Uh, it's actually, that was six o. Yeah, when he when I first got the DSLR and I was really struggling with it, and he told me what was the tip you gave me about using one of the modes, and it was like someone had take the take the uh, lens cover off. Was that it? (laughs) (laughs) That was the next tip. That was the next one. That one. Plug it in. Charge the battery. I can't. What was um, what was it? I can't remember now. It was. I was struggling because I basically I didn't know where to start with it. I'd got this unweirdly piece of technology that I just couldn't use and couldn't fathom and every guide I tried to read made no sense to me whatsoever and it was you told me something that was just really straightforward and it was just like everything else just clicked in sequence and I think think, it was you told me to use was it tv mode at first right yeah 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 I'm a big I'm a big advocate of it I mean I um so I, I shoot in full manual uh, yeah. which, I mean, for anybody that doesn't know DSLR photography, like a real, like a, a quick and dirty overview is that, you know, there's a, there's a kind of balance between shutter speed, aperture, which is the, the size of the, the, the amount of light that you're letting into the camera and, uh, an ISO, uh, which, and, and all three of those things, um, sort of control, they work in like a little triangle almost, you know, if you change one it has a knock on impact to the other. So it's all, some people a lot of people will know this. A lot of people may not, and it doesn't matter, but it's fine. The the But yeah, TV mode is is time value. So it's just shooting where you're making a priority of the shutter speed, and then your camera controls the aperture. And that's how the camera works, is it's kind of in sync. Uh, whereas full manual, you control everything. And I think it's... it's I, the way it was always explained to me was that you kind of... You can start on fully automatic, and fully automatic is the camera chooses everything. So it does the shutter speed, it does the aperture, it does the ISO, it does, I mean, even like the white balance and stuff, all of that can be on auto. But then, you know, you can kind of slowly move through uh, different settings. So, you know, either you do TV and you control the shutter speed or you do AV and you control the aperture and the amount of light going in. And then the camera does the other half, you know, so you're controlling half of the the setting and the the camera is doing the other bit. Um, And then eventually, you know, you kind of make it to full manual and you control everything. Uh, and and I think it's it's all of that. We don't really have time to kind of explain it all today. I don't think, but all of that I yeah. think is the biggest stumbling block that people have with with DSLR photography. Yeah, I mean that made such a massive difference because at that time it just took off so much of the pressure of trying to understand the camera. Because all of a sudden I didn't have to learn how to use everything; just a couple of things. Everything else was taken care of. And then within a week or two, I then gone to full manual because yeah. everything else had made sense. I've been able to learn the other bits, get the hang of some bits, and then sort of naturally move on from there. And everything then just expanded from there. I, I still don't shoot on full manual. I don't shoot on full manual. Really? I, sh- I shoot on AV, aperture priority. All right. See, now I couldn't be without all that control. I've gone the other way now. I'm like, I need everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I was brave enough to go to this point because there were things that the automatic wasn't doing for me and I, and I wasn't getting the results I wanted 
but with AV, I was getting what I wanted. So I control the aperture, but um, the rest I leave to the camera and I'm more than happy with the results. And I think I've sort of convinced myself that to do much better, I would need a much better camera. So I've basically found an excuse for myself not to explore full manual mode. Whenever I have tried to shoot in full manual, I've I've not been too pleased with the results. So there's still a lot of learning for me to do in, in that direction. What what sort of f-stop do you typically shoot on Maz, or is it not like a set thing? Uh, that's not set. Um, so I think normally for uh, so I use a a macro lens for most of my photos, and uh, I tend to use something between uh, five and eight. Okay. I think the the most recent photos I did was seven point one, but then. Um, I sometimes switch to the stock lens, which is a, I think it's a, is it 10 to 55? Uh, yeah, or 18.55 typically. But. Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. And it just shows you how technical I am with this stuff. And that um, that cannot go lower than, I think, 4.5. Yeah, that's, and, that uh, sounds so, about right. So typically, but I can get really close with it and it doesn't get blurry because obviously with the, with the macro lens, I have to be at quite a distance. So we, so I switched to the stock lens and I, and I can do really nice headshots up close and I tend to do those at around uh, 4.0, 4.5. Nice. Yeah, that's, I, I, was, I was just interested because obviously you've got quite a distinctive style. I did wonder if you were maybe shooting on a, uh, a slightly higher F number, do you know what I mean, to try and get the focus and everything uh, and try and keep it all kind of looking quite crisp. Um, well, one thing I've noticed is, uh, and this is obviously a little bit of technical talk, but I cannot shoot with an iso higher than 100 my yeah. photos end up noisy or yeah. um, not particularly clear i don't have enough light or maybe the camera lenses don't take in enough light if i'm shooting indoors in the studio i always uh studio it's a light tent behind me <laughs> in the studio ridiculous yeah behind and, the photos uh, right <laughs> and uh I just use ISO 100 because that's the the way I don't get too much noise in the photos. But when I go Definitely. outdoors, like the pictures in the snow or in the wilderness, uh, I just put it on auto. It's auto ISO. Oh, do you? In fact, in fact I, yeah, I, I tend mm. not to mess with stuff. In fact, nearly every photo I take outside of the light tent is um, it's mostly auto settings. I think it's on yeah. P on the Canon. I think that's uh, that's the setting I use. Yeah, 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 yeah. I t- ISO, I tend to try and leave as little as possible because it's because you, you're right. The the more it goes up, the more grain you get ultimately. Uh, you know, because the sensor just kind of lets in you know more light, and it just um, it can look really overloaded and grainy. And actually, it's a style of uh, you know in landscape or whatever. A lot of people maybe shoot with a higher so I can't even speak a high ISO specifically to get that grainy quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or in black and white photography or whatever. But in toy photography, it's just not really what you want. You want no. kind of sheeny, sheeny kind of look. And uh, so, yeah, lower low ISO for me all the way. I try and shoot with 100, but sometimes it just has to be like 200. But I think anything really below sort of 300, you've got a nice quality image for sure. I, I can never make 200 work and anything other than 100. And for some reason, I just cannot get it to work. Just really? no way I'm ever satisfied with the quality of the photograph. It's always grainy or out of focus or something. I don't know. Maybe that's because I'm not on full manual and adjusting other things. But uh, I don't have this global understanding of how all of these settings work in harmony. So I tend to just I shoot at ISO 100 always. It could be your backgrounds as well because you've got quite um, like flat color backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Maybe that shows up the grain a little bit more. I don't know. It'd be on the figure itself mainly. Oh, right. Okay. Notice. Interesting. See? 
I'm the same as you. I only stick to an ISO 100. And every time I try and change it, I can't get it right. So I always sit to 100 and then I will mess with every other setting to get yeah. the photo mm-hmm. I want rather than touch that again. It's not a bad way to do it, to be fair. I think keep the ISO as low as possible and mess around with the other stuff. And I think that's that's a good way to go. Um, but But if yeah. we're in a position where there's this one setting that can be increased and we have no idea how to maximize that, you can imagine how someone who can't even make ISO 100 work would feel about how daunting a, a digital camera, a DSLR is as a whole thing. And I can, and you know, they're not completely cheap items. Yeah. Maybe the entry cost of these has come down over the years, but it's still a conscious investment that, it's you, know, still an investment. I, you know, it's like I have to justify how much I'm spending on this. And um, yeah, I can understand how it can be disheartening. Yeah. I think something you said before it, that I thought was really interesting was, you know, about wanting to get a new kit uh, and I think this is one thing that we've talked about again in the past that I think I see so many people doing it though, where they're just like, they maybe they upgrade to a DSLR and then they're not getting the results they want. They're like, oh, well, I need a new lens, you know? So then they pump in more money into a new lens. And if that doesn't quite get it, they're like, mm, maybe I need a new body. And, uh, you know, and it's or I need new lights and I need new this and that. And it's it's it can be a real money pit very quickly. But I think the the at the risk of sounding preachy, I'm just a great believer that you kind of work with what you've got and get comfortable with it and and learn it and then upgrade when you need it. If that, you know, if that sort of makes sense, I think it's, it's, it's not always going to get you the results that you want to just suddenly upgrade a lens or whatever. When you said, uh, get a new body, I fully expect you to follow that with new minions to command. <laughs> That's what I heard. And yeah, of well, Ian sweeps pop up in the bottom corner. Uh, absolutely, you know. Suddenly, be, Unicron yeah. takes over the his role in the podcast, <laughs> as we knew it would. It? Well, he's, he's, sat, yeah. he's sat over there. Actually, he's just in the old <laughs> corner of the room, just looking rather domineering. Taking photos with EDSLR. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, that's that's a whole other thing about itself. You know, taking photos of large toys and things like that. Because mm. just some some something like Unicron, all bets are off. Really, like you can have. Um, I do think size of toys makes a big difference because you can have a, a sort of method that works for mm-hmm. 80% of toys. You know, they're all kind of of a similar size or whatever. And particularly when you're using the same setup every day and, you know, you, you don't really need to change the settings too much. And then mm-hmm. suddenly something like Unicron comes along and you're like, okay, so how does this work? You know, how do we approach this now? And it, the, all the trial and error kind of comes back, if anything. You can still yep. use all of the stuff that you've learned, but... You know, the the first I took um, a good couple of photos, I say couple, uh, a couple of dozen of photos of Unicron, just literally testing it out just to see what worked and what didn't just like what is a good way to shoot this. Um, And still, even then, I didn't necessarily get to the result I wanted in my mind's eye just because it's such a beast. See, that's why I completely avoid taking photos of large toys now. It's because I can't. Yeah, they're a hassle. Because I can't. Yeah, I can't take photos of them. And, you know, in the way I take photos of my other toys, it it just doesn't work because I don't have the space for sort of the Titans. It, they just take up too much room to do that in the same way. And so my brain just can't up the scale on it almost. Yeah. I, I found with things like uh, the Titans Fort Max and uh, fans toys Omega Supreme, with <laughs> toys like that that just didn't fit into my 120 by 120 by 120 light tent, that they had to be taken against card you know i would use the background card but then i couldn't use the diffusion of the light box and the lamps and all that meant was that the photo setup took loads longer and i had to spend a lot more time in post 
trying to sort of patch together a background and make them look presentable. It would just take so much longer to do those photos. It really limits and sort of redefines how you frame the shots, though, doesn't it, as well? Because mm. they take up so much room and yeah. you can see the edges and stuff. And it's just, it's so much harder. But there's yeah. a lot of room. Yeah, it made me think about how to make those photos appealing in a different way because I couldn't yeah. make Fan's Toys Terminus Giganticus look like I could make a G1 car look in a light turn. I thought, okay, so I've got to do something else with this photo. And it forced me to try new things. And that was a really enjoyable avenue of photography at the time. I think sometimes the best results come out of those those times uh, where, you, where you're forced to do something different, isn't it? Right, because yeah. you, you can't just rely on the same old, same old, mm-hmm. and you kind of need to mix it up a bit. Um, yeah, I was the same as you, Terminus Giganticus. That was that was a mad one. I remember like try, having to custom build a new a new setup, you know, a new backdrop and everything. Um, I remember you doing that. Did you ever put the sky hooks in? Uh, no, no. It was, I did it in my kitchen, actually. <laughs> I, I tried doing it. Oh, yeah, the old sky hooks. I tried doing it um, outside at one stage to try, just because the size of it, I was like, where is this going to go? You know, where do I have at the time that was like large enough um, to kind of fit the thing, you know, and, and to build a studio style setup? Because as you say, light boxes, all of that stuff, it's mm. just not, not big enough. Um, and in the end, I, I believe I did it on my kitchen table. I've got a photo of the behind the scenes somewhere and kind of mounted uh, huge amounts of boxes and rolled a piece of. Uh, I bought some white um, backing paper and kind of rolled it down off that and then got lamps and everything assembled around it. Uh, and it was a real mission. Um, and then I had like, obviously like a day to kind of do it um, uh, or whatever time it was, you know, because then we were going to be having dinner and everything that <laughs> evening. So it was kind of like, got to get it all packed up again. And uh, it, it was a, yeah, it was a real mission, but a lot of fun. Yeah, I remember with, um, do you remember, is it Pandinas, the Scorponok? Oh, yeah. When, when I had to do the gallery for Capel, oh, your and Zelda was, picture. That was what it was. I got yeah, so frustrated. Great. I took it out in the garden. <laughs> and what and, a result! But because it was so big, I thought it just works as like a Zelda temple. So it does. It redefines how you take the pictures and how yeah. you normally would. And I, I would have hated for the universe to not have that picture. If you didn't have to take it outside because that was <laughs> it a is an epic one. Yeah, was, no, they were again, great though, pictures. Thank you. But going back, like with the DSLR, I remember going outside again. It was so hard trying to work out how to, because I was so used to using it indoors, then having to suddenly go outdoors. I just remember just like internally screaming loads at the camera. <laughs> yeah, completely different settings. Completely yeah. different settings. And the, the light right, just no looks so different. And yeah, 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 absolutely. It's panic it's, that it's, you will not be able to rediscover the settings that worked for you in the first place. Oh no, what if I move this and I can never find that sweet spot again? Yeah. It's, I, I think it all comes in time. It's just so much practice and so much getting like familiarity with the camera and the settings and all of that. It's just, it's something that when it clicks, it clicks. I think, um, I remember talking to you, Liam, actually, and saying it's, and you saying it's clicked. I've got it now. And it, and it, I think you do have that moment, don't you? When you just kind of think, yeah. oh, suddenly I get this. It's all like a, a hazy fog of like these words, these uh, horrendous technical terms. And then just suddenly it comes good. And it's like, oh, okay, actually this is kind of making sense now. In the beginning came the beasts, but nature lies. They're robots in disguise. But it's really easy to stagnate though, isn't it? You can really easily fall into this rut of not trying anything new. And the dream is to be able to walk into any situation, any atmosphere, any lighting, any environment and know how to set your camera up for the best possible results for that environment on that day. And I can't do that. 
that's definitely something I aspire to. But yeah, that's a long way off for me, certainly. I think that would be difficult only with, with toy photography if you're doing studio stuff, only because a lot of it is about light and, and everything. I mean, one thing I would say if I was being critical of some people's photos sometimes when I see them struggling online and I'm, I'm never one to be like hey this is you know you know dishing out, dishing out un, unsolicited advice that's not my my gig or I hope it's not I try not to make it my my uh, way of you know conducting myself but I do see people sometimes struggling and it's because they don't have enough light and it's just it's, it's literally all that is all it is is they are trying to take pictures mm-hmm. of something essentially in the dark and it and they're like you know they can't get the focus right um, you know, they're really struggling to like get something crisp. And it's purely because the camera is having to, you know, use a slow shutter to try and get enough light in the lens, in, into the, you know, into the lens, through the lens or whatever. And uh, they're, they're just really struggling with it. And that's one thing that I think, you know, you say about being able to walk into any environment. It's difficult because there are just so many, um, mm-hmm. uh, you, it's not that there are unknowns, you know, you could make it work, but you would have to have a kind of minimum standard of, set up i yeah. suppose to, to... And, and sometimes that's a tripod i mean a yeah. tripod is essential like you were just saying that the camera compensates by increasing the shutter speed oh sorry like um increasing yeah. the amount of time it will open the aperture for to let light in and then the slightest movement during that time will blur your photograph so you need a solid base and if you're used to using tripods then maybe you can find a way of propping the camera against the wall or a surface during that time and that comes from experience as well but uh, buy a clicker button sure i you know i still don't use that i I still press it with my i've got a wireless one my brother hates this because he keeps giving me stuff like this that he doesn't use he's like you've had that for six years and you've never used it have you i know (laughs) you haven't used it oh my god use it trust me it will change everything it's because yeah i I still get photos where i accidentally push the button a little bit too hard and the camera moves at the wrong moment and yeah. the blur the photographs. Yeah. But you don't notice think, until you get it in the yeah. machine. The amount yeah. I, I get yeah. back until I'm... I mean, I look through the viewfinder, it looks fine. Until yeah. I put it in the computer and it blows up and you're like, oh, it's all blurred. So mm. that little clicky button, now I just have it on like a two-second two delay. Mm-hmm. Press that, perfect. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's amazing how much shake you get even from just a tiny, tiny little yeah. movement. Something that's imperceptible. Uh, on the camera I will say video is a nightmare for it like the number of times I shoot uh, something you know video wise get it back and there's just a little shake or something in the middle of something and I'm like oh man it kills me absolutely kills me Um, but yeah with photography Liam's right you know the the little auto shutter uh, things are are really really good and make such a difference Uh, but I I still now even now I zoom in when I take pictures I zoom in on every one uh, in yeah. the on the little camera screen, just to see is it crisp or not. It's a little habit I have every single photo, um, and I will not move on until I'm convinced I've got it. Um, just because I I cannot abide one of my least favorite things in photography, toy photography, is taking a load of pictures that I'm super happy with, booting up, checking them out, and they're just you know a dog lunch. Oh, it's just same- it, I hate it. The curse is always the ones where you look at it through the viewfinder, everything looks fine. And when mm, you get to yeah. the computer, Blurry. everything's sharp, everything's clear, except for the robot's face because it's behind and it's just slightly blurred. And you're just like, why? Yeah, that's <laughs> why? Yes. the face is the one where you, unless you've deliberately decided to take a photo where the, like, the tip of the gun is yeah. in focus and the, the robot's face is far removed and it's quite 
there's quite a bit of depth of field going. But yeah, and obviously, you know, with it being really small resolution, that is a really flattering thing, that little preview screen fools you into thinking you've taken a oh, stunning yeah. photograph and then ah, oh, you blow it up it's a liar that's yeah. what it is yeah like group shots i will zoom in <laughs> on every robot head i'm not even joking like i'll take a group shot uh, and, and and actually for me so much of the trial and error with group shots is making sure all of the heads are in focus because too often unless you purposely decide that you don't want that do you know what i mean there, there are definitely yeah. uh, group shots that i take where i'm like some of them are slightly more in the background or whatever it may be but you at least want all the foreground lads in focus right like you don't want to have some mm. some random uh bot you know mingling in the foreground which is just randomly out of focus because he's too close uh and he's fallen out of your depth of field so you definitely got to have certain uh characters in focus you know head sculpts to make that work that group shot but yeah i'll zoom in on every single one and just kind of double check it and all of that because i'm just cannot abide getting those photos back uh, and and into the camera and uh, into the computer and looking at them and seeing they're blurry. With a uh, big group shots, one of the things I got quite into was compositing. You know where you right. take all of them in focus and then compile the image at the end, and that actually actually turned out really great once I discovered it was a thing you can do. But again, sometimes it just feels like too much work when you just want to take a quick. It's a lot of work. It's like you're like, oh, I can't bother waiting for Photoshop to load it, let alone. That's another you know, skill I aspire uh, to that I've never tried. Compositing. It's literally one button in Photoshop, and it is amazing. Yeah, Photoshop <laughs> will do a lot of it for you. I yeah. think it is. Um, it's still something I prefer to do in camera, if possible. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I, do, so. I haven't haven't composited a photo for at least a couple of years. So, what um, would you do? Like, if you set up a group shot, would you just, uh, for example, on the camera I have, I can touch uh, on the touch screen, and it will yeah. focus on that. So, do you just take the same photograph? six or seven times if there's six or seven robots and use each time you focus on a different robot's face and then of course you probably use that remote shutter thing to make sure you're not moving the camera at all between shots and then By you the way, you've do... got that in there the, that remote shutter thing it does well you know it's a it's a piece of kit that i don't use that just seems say, like that, you sounded that... angry at it almost like it yeah it's it. a reminder that i'm getting Pesky old thing. and technology is overtaking <laughs> me and i, you I just kiss like, with your button just, yeah I, was like, I can't keep up with this man can't i just accomplish this some other way without having to learn this very easy piece of tech that I'm now being shamed for not using. Yeah. I want to buy a button to press another button. All right. Ludicrous. But no, you, you, you pretty much hit it on the head there. That's essentially what you do. I think you would struggle with compositing from five or six images. That would be, um, I don't know how that would turn out. It might work, might work. But yeah, the, the, more, the more you add in, I think once you course, get past yeah. three, you're asking for trouble, really, of like, is it going to work or not? Because the, the what you end up with, of course, it depends again on your, um, uh, you know, on your f-stop. You know what you've had for your depth of field. If you've got a larger depth of field and more of your images in focus, it's going to work better. Whereas if you've gone for something like, I mean, if you're shooting on something like two point eight, then forget it. You know, because what you're going to end up with is bits of some robots in focus and other bits blurry, yeah. <laughs> and then another guy who's you know i mean you'd end up with like three or four depths of field in one photo almost it would look really weird um but yeah essentially you just take the same photo um on a tripod uh multiple times and stitch them together well we we were gonna we were gonna talk about um you know processing and post work and all of that that was on the agenda to talk about which i guess we're kind of leaning into a little bit now almost of like stuff that we do uh, afterwards, I mean, as you mentioned, Lightroom earlier, mm -hmm. 
um, which I think we all use. Liam, is that true for you as well? It is now, yeah. I didn't used to until a couple of years ago, and it's through you guys' recommendation as well. Yeah, there's another way. There you go. Picked up that. Should but get, that should get sponsored that... by him. Yeah, I, mean, I, I wouldn't be using Lightroom if you didn't suggest it. And I think the only reason I used Lightroom was because I had grown so frustrated with using purely Photoshop that I just simply wasn't seeing enough improvement. And this is very typical of me. I have to reach this level of frustration before I'll try something new. It was the same like with my old job. It, it, 14 years of not being happy with the job. Finally, I tried something new. and I moved abroad to work in something I didn't think was possible. Then that was the same with the photography. I just got so frustrated with the lack of quality. I thought, you know what? I'm going to download this program. I don't care. I'm going to buy it. going to make it work. And it has just been transformative. I couldn't imagine photography yeah. without it. No. The switch to RAW is one of the best things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of the biggest, absolute biggest changes. I didn't. It's one of those things before you do it, you don't, you don't believe it almost. You're like, eh, it might look a little bit better, but I won't notice. And then when you do it and you're editing it, you're like, oh, my God. The difference is incredible. It's just so much easier to tell yourself you're not as good a photographer as somebody else, isn't it? It's just so much easier to tell yourself that story and not try the the thing that might work for you. Definitely. That's it. Every little step, you it completely redefines how you view yourself as a photographer, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? And how you do take photos. Yeah, talking about raw, it's interesting. Uh, When was it? It was not so long ago. I I was randomly. shooting a load of images and everything and got them all loaded up and taking a look and for for a good couple of days i was like really unhappy with the quality of everything i was shooting and i just couldn't figure out why it's all in jpeg yeah i don't know how (laughs) i have no absolutely no clue how i'd switched it back to jpeg on my camera and and i i i genuinely don't even remember i mean i don't even know why i would go in and change that because everything i do is in raw uh but yeah and it was all in jpeg and uh, so, of course, you know, even doing a little bit of editing or whatever, just the quality is not there. So and, and you see it in the final results. It makes a huge difference, definitely. So um, but, yeah, it, I think it's interesting because I know so we all use Lightroom. Um, but I think it's worth acknowledging that there are other um, resources out there as well. And, that you know, I don't want that to sound like, you know, you have to spend loads of money on software or whatever, because you really don't. There are actually free alternatives to Lightroom as well. Um, you know, I used start... um, GIMP for years. Yeah, GIMP. GIMP is GIMP is a popular one, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's quite it's quite difficult to get the hang of, but once you do, it does a lot of the stuff Photoshop does for free. It's yeah, yeah, definitely. So, what what sort of things do you guys do in post? Typically, how would you describe your post process? For me, um, one of the things I love to do is when I um, import directly into Lightroom. The first thing is to make sure I enable camera lens correction for the lens that I'm using. Uh, And that's just like sometimes you suddenly, you think you're looking at a perfectly composed photo and then suddenly you realize there was a little bit of a fisheye effect when you you hit that correction button. So that's like the first thing I always do. And I love messing with clarity. And once I discovered what this effect did, it was really beautiful. It just adds so much drama in terms of shadows to figures, but it's really easy to overdo it and suddenly something can go to looking really dark and um, the contrast becomes really off and you know you're not looking at the true color. But I really love messing with clarity uh, because it adds drama to the photos. And um, I tend to stay away from things like saturation and vibrance because that does accentuate certain colors and it makes it look unreal in a way. 
But if I'm going for a really crazy stylized photo, I, I will whack that stuff up to max. I play with shadows as well because uh, my photography just sometimes turns out dark. And I think it's because uh, I always put my monitor to dark to protect my eyes. And I sometimes forget that I'm not producing a photo that's going to look the same on other people's monitors. And of course, that's a big thing. Other people's monitors and devices will portray your photo differently to how you see it on your own equipment. Uh, I use uh, I used to do a lot with temperature, with white balance. But since mm. I, I think I fixed it in the camera and the way I shoot... I'm much less inclined these days to mess with that in post because I feel it's something I've sorted during the photography and I'm happy that it's the true color I'm getting. Yeah. And uh, and I love to uh, do vignettes, which is something I learned from Sixo. And I was yeah, doing the vignettes nice. manually in Photoshop, which was like create an oval, lower oh, the right. yeah, 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 yeah. But it's Lightroom, it's just, it's one slider in Lightroom. It's so and easy, it's, isn't it? It's like, oh, that's beautiful. And I love doing that. So, it just, it um, does add a little bit of... Um presence to the photo almost doesn't it so totally yeah even if it's really subtle as soon as you add it and you think i don't really notice a difference just undo it and immediately yeah. see oh that's what it brought brought to the photograph but yeah um clarity vibrance shadows and uh vignette are, are definitely things that oh and noise reduction i do um, a fair amount of noise reduction because there is sometimes some graininess and especially in the surfaces that i use like i use a card a flexible card and sometimes they can look quite grainy when photographed up close because it's paper uh, yeah. so the noise reduction sometimes um removes that but you've got to be careful not to go too far because you start to lose the finer sculpted details and greebling on actual toys if you overdo the noise reduction i think with all of those lightroom settings if you overdo it then mm. you know it it turns to something not very good doesn't it? it's kind of you know it's it's a real fine art with all of it because if you yeah if you overdo it it's not good uh, it's interesting to hear how different yours is to what to what I do. So, um, Liam, how about you? I don't know. I want to know what you do. Oh, okay. I well, I can go. Yeah. yeah well, I, it now. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that I, I, well, I, so I try to do as little as possible. I'm, my happiest is when I load a photo and I think I don't even need to touch this. It's just done. Do you know what I mean? And I love that. I'm really like pleased with that. Um, I do uh, a little bit of like correcting exposure. So sometimes, again, it's one of those where if I just haven't got it quite right, um, there's a there's a brilliant thing in Lightroom where you can um, use, I can't remember the name of the function because I've never really looked at the name of it, but you can do uh, like a slider from the side. Not a, It's not a slider, but it's like a function where you can uh, change the exposure of like, let's say half the photo or however mm -hmm. much you want. You know, you kind of bring in like a gradient. That's the word I was looking for, like a gradient from the side. And then you can change... Uh, you know, let's say the exposure or correct it slightly in one portion of the photo, which I find extremely useful because, you know, sometimes the biggest thing is that you can sort out the exposure in camera, but obviously that's for the whole picture. That's for the whole thing. Whereas in Lightroom, at least you can edit, you know, different portions of it. Um, so that's definitely part of what I do. A little bit of correcting shadows sometimes and just kind of like if I think something's got a bit lost, just kind of bringing it up a little bit as well. Um, but again, I do try and keep that minimal because these days is what I try and do is move lights around more than anything. If mm -hmm. I need to, I've got like a, I've got several, I've got three lights that are set and I've got um, two that I can move to move shadows. So that tends to be more what I try and do if anything, but then it hasn't always worked. So there's just sometimes a bit of correction or whatever needed. Um, bit of sharpening here and there sometimes. Um, a lot of uh, like a little bit of noise removal, as you said, Maz. Um, but sometimes for me, dust is the killer and like getting mm -hmm. rid of dust. 
Um, so that's definitely a thing. Trying to just eliminate dust. Uh, I've actually, um, I was going to say invested now, but it was like three quid. Finally got myself a little, it's like a little makeup brush to just kind of get rid of dust because I spent far too long um, getting annoyed with uh, photos that look dusty after the fact. And actually, sounds this like a great idea. Where did you uh, where did you first hear about that? <laughs> it was you. It was you that uh, that that uh, recommended that one, um, and it's changed my life. Welcome to Absolutely. the Triple Makeover Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my word! You well, I, I can't recover from that. That was devastating. Triple Makeover. Um, I've completely lost my... No, this makeup brush has changed my life. There you go. Someone can take that and out of context. Um, but, uh, oh, how yeah. you mocked me in my makeup brush and spirit level. Now look at you. Well, I don't have a spirit level, mate. Yes. I'm not yes. that sad. But... <laughs> Do you know, the tripod on my camera actually has a spirit level on it. Does it? Yeah. yeah I've never used it, I think... but it's obviously a great thing to have on a tripod. I don't think I ever take a photo that's straight, so that's not really a consideration for me. And you used to mock me for my jaunty angles, although maybe you were talking about my physique. I don't know. (laughs) That doesn't sound like something I would mock you for. You did, yeah, because I started taking a few photos at angles, and uh, you said, oh, "Oh, I I like the jaunty angles you've been using. I was probably being sincere. I do like jaunty angles. Oh, who can tell with you? Yes, exactly, yes. Um, but I, I do like a jaunty angle. I'm a big fan of a jaunty angle. Uh, <laughs> indeed. And people can take that how they want. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, in, that's the secret to a good photograph, isn't it? Get a metallic filter and a jaunty angle and you're sorted. That's it. Yeah, exactly. That's a recipe for success right there. Uh, and a makeup brush. I will, I will say um, a spirit level on a tripod is high up on my shopping list because I get so wound up that I can't get the legs of my tripod right because they're all you know extended a little bit because of, mm-hmm. of the table I use. And it, it um, gets on my nerves no end, even though it's so slight. I know it's there. I know it's wrong. Really? I, I, yeah. I move that tripod all the time. Every shot, I'm adjusting the legs, the angle. It's constantly in motion, that thing. So I don't know if it would bother me too I bought much. like a little, a little tiny one that you can put on a desk. And it's quite good. It came with like a ball jointed head. But then that ended up being too high. But um, uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot. I, I found a lot of... Um, photographs sometimes it's the it's the level isn't it it's just like t- the 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 height almost you know mm. that you can take yeah. a photo from a particular height and it looks it looks a bit crap and then you just lower it a little bit or raise it a little bit and suddenly it's golden yeah. it's just it's really funny i was just gonna say it's like what i was saying on twitter recently and i don't think people understood what i meant when i was saying um the dvd cases have become like my most important photography tool at the minute shoeboxes yeah, it's because with DVD cases and like CD shoeboxes, like they're so small and thin and modular, you can just build up and mm-hmm. increase the heights of things. It's like you don't see them in the photo, oh, but they spend so much so time useful. looking for a book of the right thickness. <laughs> Sometimes to elevate by just the right amount. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Feel that. So um, behind my TV, I have a TV. Uh, behind my TV, I have a TV. Sorry, behind my table, <laughs> I have a TV. And because it has to sit behind on a chair i went to the charity shop and spent a pound on tons of books so i could put them on it and then put the tv on top of the books and my girlfriend's brother finds it hilarious but i'm like it lets me raise the you know things up and down makes sense makes sense on the topic of this kind of thing and elevation and, and really big toys when i was taking some of the cityscape photos i used to do I had to take some behind the scenes shots because it looked like I'd actually built um, 
a cardboard fort for playing in uh, in front of the toy setup because it was like a, a, a chair and a second chair and a big box, you know, on both chairs and on, on top of the box was like a shoe box and then maybe something else. And then the camera would be on top of that. And I'd be standing on a chair behind it, pointing it down, going, I think I've got the right elevation. And uh, yeah, just all the wacky things you do to get the right photo. And you did have a little play in it afterwards, didn't you? Yeah. Still do. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think uh, I've done stuff like that as well, you know, where it's just like books, boxes, whatever. It's just whatever you've got to hand sometimes, isn't it? It's just when, you, when you're when you in, uh, when you're just taking that photo and you just want it to be right, whatever's there mm. that can kind of like prop something up or get it to the right angle or... And I think the makeshift nature of it is kind of fun, actually. I think yeah. that... there's a lot of MacGyvering going on sometimes. Oh yeah, photos, yeah. Oh there's yeah, a lot Look... of, like extra random bits of the diorama and stuff, and it's all balanced on stuff in the background that you can't see, and it's yeah. just to deflect light off stuff. You know, when you've got light reflections on toys, and they're really annoying to get out. Or like yeah, I'm taking a photo, and I'm, hold... I'm holding a comic up on, above the um, underneath the top light <laughs> just to just try and drown it out a bit. It's kind of late, which you go to, isn't it? That's actually quite a point. Um, what would you say is the the greatest length you've gone to to achieve a photo? What's the one that really sticks out in your mind as the wackiest adventure you ever went on to to get a photo that you, you had in your mind and wanted to recreate? Hmm. I'll give you a moment to think about it. I'll, I can tell you mine straight away. That's why I'm asking yeah. this question. I wanted an excuse to bring this story up. And it was, um, you know, when, you, when I was doing third-party galleries and reviews, uh, loads of people were getting the same sample and I wasn't getting them first. So th- I had to find a way of making my stuff stand out because it was coming out a week after people in the US or in Asia. And I was like, what's going to make people want to look at this gallery? If I'm not, I can't just do it against a solid color background. That's just not going to work. So I started to go to ridiculous lengths of trying to create dioramas and strange scenes. And one of the things I tried to do for Galaxy Meteor, the Make Toys Cybertron Starscream, was uh, create like this hangar image. And I'd seen all this artwork of Star Wars hangars where you've got the fighters and there's loads of steam coming off. Um... You can start laughing because you know where this is going. Oh my God. Steam coming off the, <laughs> the turbines and stuff. Just then, you know, you, I was going to bring it up earlier, so I'm glad you brought it up now. <laughs> I can know you imagine like, walking through um, a hangar with lots of fighters in it and there's this like, <laughs> bits of steam going off and condensation <laughs> and stuff. And uh, I wanted to create this steam effect behind Galaxy Meteor. <laughs> Okay, I'd put it creasing already. I haven't even got to the good part. <laughs> I know where it's going. It so <laughs> I'd put up like the, the usual uh, techie background. You know, you've got the prime trailers standing up and maybe Rodimus's trailer. So it looks greebly and techni- technique, uh, sorry, technological and stuff. I thought, how am I going to get steam? How do they do it in photography? So I started to look up how they get steam in food photography. And it turns out one of the most successful ways of doing it is to boil water and boil tampons and then you, you take the tampons and you put them right behind the item you want and it looks like you know delectable steam that's coming off this freshly cooked pie <laughs> so i basically transformed our entire kitchen into this um <laughs> tampon heating facility <laughs> where the entire dinner table was taken up with this diorama tons of toys all over the place and of course i had you know like the pan going <laughs> on the cooker you know, borrowed some tampons chucked them in the water, you know, inflated, and then took them out, put them in the photo. I did this so many times, and for some reason, it just wasn't getting any better. And uh, in the end, I think um, 
kit just added steam and Photoshop to it. And it was better than any, like either the tampons made it too foggy or it was just this tiny wisp. But yeah. I remember you mm. sharing a behind the scenes photo of your yeah. kitchen just <laughs> privately and, and the utter despair you were in of just having like all these soggy tampons just like all over the shop and just like, yeah. and you were just at your wit's end. Head. You were at your wit's end with it. You were like, I just, I just don't know what to do with I this. I think I made it through an entire pack. Like, um, no, my wife was I, I, I remember we were all trying to be, like, supportive, but also there was a lot of Mickey taking as well, you can imagine. Well, it was and, ridiculous, uh, wasn't it? Like, all for this one photograph, and in the end, it was just done with Photoshop. And the worst part is, when the photograph was done, when I picked the one I wanted... I don't know if you've noticed, but one of the little Diaclone pilots fell over at the back of Galaxy Meteor, <laughs> just sitting there, lying on his back. <laughs> oh, brilliant. After all that, he the fell amazing, over. The amazing thing about this is as soon as you start telling the story, it's not that I think of the photo you took first, it's that I think of that behind-the-scenes photo first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's almost more legendary. <laughs> Go on then, let's top that. <laughs> oh, man. I can't top that. My, mine's really mundane. Like, I don't... I don't think I've ever quite gone to those lengths. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of something that I've done like that that's really extreme. I don't know. I'm don't, honestly trying... Have you done anything, like, very risky? Like, I remember when I took the... You know the picture of Optimus Prime and Megatron from the movie where Megatron's about to shoot him in the head? It's like, um, I did that with the masterpiece, and you would think it would just be you position them in a certain way. But uh, I ended up having to balance them on lots of tape cassette and DVD boxes at different heights. But then, to, because it... My light tent at that time, when I had a light tent, was so low. My tripod couldn't couldn't support the camera at that length. Right, yeah. So I ended up getting loads of old Amazon boxes and stuff like that and balancing the camera on that. And they weren't supporting it at all. But because I had to angle the camera at the same... This is all to get the, an exact angle. I had to get a mop and prop it against the wall. <laughs> and then underneath <laughs> the end of the, uh, you know, the, the camera lens. And I didn't oh, have the shutter button then. Oh, mate, so, that, is, that is risky. Yeah. It's wobbling, and it must have fallen off three or four times. But in the end, I got there, and and you you can't see the amount of effort that went into taking this one photo that was just copying a frame of a cartoon. Five yeah, there's, there's, yeah. The, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of that for me of just like balancing stuff on things that is like a bit precarious, and like particularly when it's you know toys that are worth a bit or whatever, and you just think I really shouldn't be doing this, but here we are. Um, actually, I think probably in that regard, I've had more. Uh, I mean, it's similar, but more with with video. Actually, just trying to do videos of getting some of the the sort of big third party combiners in shot or whatever. There's been a couple of moments uh, that um, there's a DX9 Motormaster, which is like a really long uh, Motormaster. I don't know if you've seen pictures of it, but it's ridiculous. It, yeah. It's I'll, I'll I'll have to show you later because you will laugh yourself silly with it. It's it's funny because it's like someone took Motormaster. And then just added like another two thirds of a motor master on the end of it. The, tra- the trailer is so long; it's like he's it just keeps going. Up. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's yeah. It, it's and they've done it because the trailer becomes the combined mode. But it's it's meant that it's just this ridiculously deproportioned, um, you know, vehicle mode. And to, to try and get that in for the video and to I think what I wanted to do was a video with that with a comparison with loads of other cars and I just couldn't get the because it was like slightly from above just couldn't get the height required so I got boxes in there and then the tripod balancing on boxes and everything just to get the the height and everything 
And um, I think I think there was a moment where I had to catch the camera because it was kind of like it was all a bit precarious and and you know uh, and whatever. But y- you would watch it and never ever know that that was the the kind of behind the scenes uh, going on. But yeah, lots of that kind of stuff over the years of just it's not all professional, is it? It's not like all really polished or whatever. It's a lot of it is is Jimmy's. It's the, exper- and... it's the experimenting that's part of the charm, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's like yeah. um. I remember when I was doing the pictures of uh, Earthrise Cliff Jumper, and I thought because he's got skis, I thought, oh, I'll get him in some water. This will be easy. Oh man! And those photos no longer exist because it was so hard, and so that toy drowned about fifteen times <laughs> because I got to a point where I got like a Pyrex dish, and I got an old blue shirt out of the wardrobe because I thought, ah, uh, this will look like underwater because obviously water's clear. <laughs> and then he, then he, then he's in there on blue tack, and then he just keeps sinking. Yeah. And it just looked like someone had put a shirt and <laughs> filled it with water. Because that's exactly <laughs> what had happened. But I'd like I'd like tape fake grass around it and everything. And I was like, this is gonna be like the defining shot of my life is. And then in the end, I remember the last one I attempted, I put it on like a dinner tray and I was just like, I've given up at this point. It's like six hours of my life, I'll never get back. And all those photos, every time I just looked at them, they just looked worse and worse. Should have just got kit to Photoshop it. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. what I didn't. But actually, that's speaking of water, I was actually going to bring up uh, the 6 photo with sea spray. Because didn't you do yeah. like something really complex with sea spray in the water? Uh, it's similar similar to, to what you say about the Pyrex dish. Yes, I did try some with, with real water. It was good fun, actually. But uh, I was I was pleased with the results. Um, I tried it, it twice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you. It, it, I mean, I still think I could do better. Um, given a you know a third shot, it's one I'll probably try to do another time. Although I, I've got to do a, I've got to do something on fans' toys sea spray now. And I was, I was already thinking the other day, could this be one that I get the water out for? And I was like, nah, <laughs> I'm not, not in, not there yet. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, it was good fun. It was like it, I had a massive Pyrex dish and I filled it with rocks uh, from the garden and uh, filled it with that with water. And then I've I always had, meant yeah, to like, ask you, what are those rock-like things you use in photos? <laughs> they are rocks. Yes, they are real rocks from the garden. Yes, questions you get honestly. I know. Yeah, they are, they are real rocks. Uh, but yeah, anyway, yeah, filled it with rocks, filled it with water. Um, but as you said, Liam, I had the dilemma of like water being clear when you want it to be kind of cartoony water, you know, yeah. and all of that. Um, but yeah, then um, I think I layered. A piece of grass fake grass into it um and then had to kind of wrap stuff around it um and then put the tv backdrop behind it and it, yeah it was it came out quite well actually in the end and i think again that was one where i was really determined to get it all in camera i didn't want to do any photoshop i just wanted it to be perfect and so the little reflection that i got of sea spray in the water was real and that was important to me i didn't want it to be a photoshop reflection or any of that I remember um, when you showed it me, I was so jealous because I was so annoyed at the lengths I'd been to like a few months before with this cliff jumper toy, like oh, the mate. memories of all the water that went all over the carpet, all over the <sighs> room, all over everything part of my house. And just the stress I was like, and I saw your photos like, I bet he's done this in one shot. I bet it's taken no time at all. No, it, t- it took a long time. It took a long time. And it wasn't one <laughs> shot. It was uh, <laughs> many, many outtakes, many, many outtakes. And as you said, you know, you have this, particularly I think with those kinds of photos where you've gone to great lengths to get a result, you have it in your mind, don't you, of what it's going to look like. You know what you want it to look like. And then, but the actual, um, that's an example of where you can picture it, 
but the getting to that picture is the unknown quantity, yeah. how you're going to get there. So you have these ideas like, okay, I'll use a blue shirt and I'll throw that in there. But then the result just is disappointing at times, isn't it? And it's, it's one of those nailed it memes. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, isn't it? A little bit. Uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, the, the blue shirt I think is quite a good idea, actually. Did that not work? No, I thought it was going to be a genius move when it popped in my head. I was like, oh, yeah. Like the little gif of that guy tapping his head. I was like, here we go. Smart. Now it's just ruined with fake grass taped to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you still have the shirt? Yeah, I actually reused it as my um, Aladdin Halloween costume last year. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> but, uh, oh, man, it looks so bad at the bottom of that dish. I thought you wouldn't notice it, you know, in the, in the camera. Yeah, there's, the there's, there's a certain amount, isn't there? There's a lot that DSLR photography will kind of forgive and fudge. And there's some yeah. things it just won't. It's just when some when, when that... you want it to hide something, it is not your friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it shows up everything, doesn't it? Now the Decepticons have monster pretenders. Monster pretenders with rubbery skin. Beyond, beyond anything you've ever seen before. Transformer monster pretenders. On that then, because obviously, Liam, you've got some pretty impressive uh, kit, you know, dioramas, behind the okay. scenes stuff, all of that. You've got some incredible things. Um, but some of that's been custom made for you, hasn't it? It has. I got. Uh, well, I did have a friend who used to do that sort of stuff, but um, yeah, he doesn't really do it anymore. It's quite sad. But I've had so much great stuff made, and it just makes taking photos so much more fun. Like I say, it's it's like having a giant playset all of the time, isn't it? And it's yeah, just that stuff takes up so much room. I know you and I are both um, kind of well into our dioramas and things. Oh, I'm very um, envious. Very envious. Get in on it, man. Do it. Well, I mentioned wanting to get a grassy tunnel for a train the other day, and it just <laughs> turned into a horrible mocking <laughs> match, didn't it? Oh, you got your grassy tunnel Mate, yet? Man? I would love to see photos of your grassy tunnel. I bet you would. <laughs> I, I'm fully, you know, supportive of it. These go with the tampon pictures. <laughs> you know, the worst thing is, I actually I had train sets as a kid, and I had this um, this tunnel prop that uh, was shaped like the side of a mountain, just like a, where a train would go into a mountain and it did have like yeah. bits of grass on it and like a stream. And that would just be so ideal for yeah. JRX or Raiden photography. And, I, and I'm pretty sure I've probably given that away or it's been thrown out. But that something I had as a kid, that, that would have been perfect for today's photography. Do it, man. Give it a go. Yeah. I would say the one uh, thing I'm sure Liam will agree about doing that style of photography is just the space it takes up. That it's just absolutely monstrous. I mean, you couldn't do something like that in a light tent, really. Do you know what I mean? It's it, you know you need way more space just to have the kind of diorama set up, really. If anything, to have the space that you need. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at my setup now. Uh, I've never really measured it, but you know, you're talking. I would guess two feet wide, something like that. Do you know what I mean? Just to kind of um, fit it all see, in. I, see, I've got a six foot wide table. To have it right. on. That's how, that's how much stuff. But so, how do you light that and diffuse the light? Uh, because if you if you don't have a light tent around it, I find that the lighting is really harsh and it comes out in the photo. So, how do you do? You just put those little like swimming caps, <laughs> which diffuse the lamps on top of the so, lights. So soft boxes. Yeah, soft, soft boxes. Okay. Yeah, so portable soft boxes. But I have mine um, set as I say. I've got three of them, one above, two two to the side, set on armatures, so that they're kind of in permanent position almost. Yeah, you can move them if I need to. Um, but then two other lights that I can move more freely if I, you know, for, depending on what I need. Yeah, um, mine's yes. pretty, pretty much the same as that. And I just mm. have one of them where I just I have two set up, the one at the top and one on the left and one on the right I can move about. 
but they've got like a lot of little lights as well, like the different color ones that you can put on the back and stuff. Yeah, and little tiny lights. But, it's but yeah, more... I, I think the move from um, light tent to soft boxes for me was a great one because it just yeah. gives so much more versatility. It's a freedom, isn't it, to it? And you just suddenly you feel less encumbered by stuff. It's yeah, definitely more better. Do you think I'd still be able to get the results that I get now with a light tent of, you know, just like a frosted silver background or a pastel blue and just put one central figure and that's just the only content in the photograph? Would I still be able to get that effect with soft boxes? Because I tried to do uh, a light tent style photo and line up all of the G1 jets I have, but they didn't fit into the light tent. So I had to take the yeah. backing card out of the light tent and I put those... Um, the little diffusers on the the coil lamps that I have, but it didn't. It still produced really harsh lighting. But that was the only way I could uh, I could do it. So you think soft boxes think, would help with that? Yeah, I think you could definitely do it. I think it would be like any change that you make. It would be a one step back to get right. two steps forward. Do you know what I mean? I think it would be a lot of trial and error initially to to get almost to the same point that you are because you know you you would make that change and the light wouldn't be the same. Um, so it would be it would be a bit of a, a, a change in that regard, but yeah, I absolutely think you could do it because the, I mean, the soft boxes I have, I'm looking at them now, they're they're sizable things, um, with you know great big coil uh, light in the middle of it, the bulb, um, and then you know it, it's it's essentially the same material that you get for the sides of a, a light tent, mm-hmm. but just you know stretched over a great big uh, kind of square box, and um, you, the light disperses through the room. Uh, I mean, actually, you know, they're so bright that you could just turn on one of these soft boxes and it would light the room. Do you know what I mean? That's how bright they are. Brilliant. Um, so, yeah, honestly, I think you could definitely get that same result. And it, it just enables you, for me, it was the, the move to just move them back a bit so that then you, you know, you allow a lot more space in the middle. Um, you will find, I think, that the light is maybe not as up close. So there's then some settings in the camera, things like that, maybe to change. Mm-hmm. To, to kind of draw in more light into the camera because it might be a little bit darker just because the lights are further away. Um, but yeah, I think it'll definitely work. The Transformers will return after these messages. Right, well, we've talked about absolutely tons of stuff so far. And I think it's becoming apparent that we're not going to make this an exhaustively comprehensive episode on toy photography there's just too much to talk about at the end of the day uh you know even things like composition or you know how we kind of set up the the kind of practical setups that we do things like that absolutely tons that we could kind of get into so we are going to kind of move on slightly in topic but if there are things that you feel like we've not addressed or that you would like us to talk about another time we could always revisit this topic on another occasion so please do let us know uh, but yeah, what I was really interested to hear now was from each of you, just how you feel that toy photography has really impacted the rest of the hobby for you. You know, has it made a major change for you in terms of how you approach toy collecting? Yes, enormously. Uh, whereas originally I might buy toys that I liked, then I would buy toys that I wanted to write about. And if I got involved in a particular niche, I would then collect things for that niche to write about. And I always had this dream of writing a book about a certain area of Diaclone or or variant Transformers. And when photography became a thing I took more seriously and now owning a DSLR and and doing toy photos to the degree that, you know, like, you know, some of you guys, you know, I've done official photographs for packaging in certain special occasions. 
photos that were in an official Hasbro book, I think, uh, submitted some animated photos for the Almanac, the AllSpark Almanac. Um, and then it's now got to the point where I buy toys of a particular condition because I wanted to create a G1 photo resource of what toys look like when stickered correctly, historically, and that leads me down a path of research. And, you know, I just stickered up a G1 sludge the other day and I needed to look at Diaclone, Transformers, Japanese Transformers, catalogs, all sorts of references to sticker it up the way I believe it should have been originally intended by the designer. Uh, and so I buy toys of a certain condition and I start buying toys of a certain type. And then I think, well, I reckon I could do nice photos of those toys because I don't think nice photos of those toys exist. So mm. I might then collect things to take photos of them. And then obviously, you know, I talked last time about completion. Sometimes I try to complete lines because I have this image in my head of what will the photo look like of all of these toys together, every variant, every release. So yeah, it definitely has an impact on how I collect. And I think without this sort of artistic, uh, sorry, creative um, outlet, I wouldn't still be in collecting. There has to be an element of creativity in this hobby for me to sustain my interest, whether it's writing or photography has to be there otherwise it is just buying stuff that takes up space after a while that's interesting i can totally appreciate some of that liam what do you think oh it's completely changed everything for me because it's the whole direction of now of why i collect stuff and what I, my first thought when i think of transformers now is taking photos of them whereas before it was you know buying different toys that are wanted and stuff like that and it's expanded like i've made friends through it and all of this sort of stuff and it's completely changed everything yeah, I can I can totally agree with both of you on all of that. I think it's um just changes the whole approach to the hobby really, doesn't it? So it gives you a completely different enjoyment of it mm -hmm. than to what you had before because it I don't know, it feels more focused in a way. Mm. Do you ever feel like you spend more time with your toys? 100% uh, because yeah, of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and well, like more in depth shelf, as well. Yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Where I I'm always grateful for that window of time to spend with each one really do you know what i mean like, hmm. the, like you don't just buy them look at them and go oh that's nice and then whack them in a cupboard it, the, the even even the ones that don't get as much time you know later down the line in the spotlight they've all had that moment of being you know in front of the lens and photographed and transformed and whatever so for me uh, that's a very important part of it for sure um it, and I, it is like the grown-up version of playing with them isn't it yeah, definitely, definitely. It's like acceptable play. Um, yeah. Other than, you know, swishing them around the living room, that's acceptable too. But um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I was just going to say, uh, I think, uh, Maz, I recognize some of what you were saying as well in terms of the, it affects the stuff that you collect as well because certainly the condition aspect, I know for me, uh, you know, G1 is a great example. Um, that even stuff that, you know, looks fine in hand, you get it in front of your camera and suddenly boot up the photos and you're like oh man you know that sticker's slightly worn at the side there or this bit you know there's a little you know crack in the paint, a paint or floor or something mm -hmm. and that's um it brings all those little flaws to life doesn't it um but it definitely also changes i think the kind of completionism aspect of things because suddenly you want complete lineups for photos um i find sometimes that i if i'm honest that i'm hanging on to toys that i don't really want anymore just for the sake of a potential photo does that mm. ring true? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or you buy accessories that will look good in a particular photo. Like I, I remember the first time I held on to an accessory was I had this little small Mountain Dew 
keychain of a Mountain Dew bottle. And the first toy I photographed it with was Vinyl Tech Smokescreen. And I just thought that looks so cool. And, and as toys were moving into that scale and that level of articulation, suddenly accessories like that had a big impact on how cool a photo would look. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, buying of accessories. like I've actually held on to MP8 Grimlock because of the accessories, you know, the little drinks tray and, and all that stuff. Like, well, they came think... in handy recently, didn't they? Yes, yes. The, the Optimus Prime butler brought to life it. <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine selling that toy now because I'd lose those accessories and, I, and you wouldn't want to sell it without them because the next owner would really want them. So, yeah, it's buying things for photos is a thing too. I was oh, just talking about the grassy tunnel, wasn't I? Yeah, yeah, indeed. But not even just like with Transformers toys. Like I found, I buy toys now. If I see they come with like stuff that I can reuse for, you know, like a scenery and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I bought Batman toys or things like that where I don't really care about the Batman. It's he comes with some a wall that like might be useful or or other vintage toys where they've got stuff, little features and stuff. I'm like, oh, that would look good in the background. Yeah. That's yeah. Doubles that's as so some sort of computer console or. I almost bought yeah. a Masters of the Universe toy uh, the other day because it had a really cool looking laser. You know, it looked like um, the thing that Megatron is testing in the in the pilot of Transformers, where um, or Starscream shoots it and then it melts because they don't have enough energon or something. You know that thing that then Megatron yeah. gets really angry at him. It looked just like that. I can't remember the name of it, but. Um, yeah, then I realized how much it goes for, and I thought it's probably a little too much. <laughs> but yeah, I was considering buying a Masters of the Universe toy because that accessory looked perfect for a Transformers photograph. I did that once with, um, do you remember Brave Star? Mm-hmm. He, they, they had like a, a base you could buy. It's called Fort Kerrium. I was one as a kid and I never had it because it was obscenely expensive. But it's this massive sort of town, this battle station thing. But it scales with like Masterpiece Transformers because that's the sort of size the Brave Star figures were. Mm-hmm. But Again, it was so big and weirdly, it was really hard to ever take photos of. But the only reason I bought it was to use in photos. Well, I'm going to tell you this now. I was dragging around a whole set of old Masterpiece Seekers for the longest time, just because in my head, the idea of photographing, one photograph as well it would have been, uh, the new Masterpiece Starscream, the MP52 that's coming out, and how, how great it would be to get a photo of that with MP11 and MP3 and, you know, to have them all lined up and everything. And then at some point, I just went, this is insane. Why am I, like, I'm keeping all these toys. Because then, of course, you've also got MP Skywarp and Thundercracker and both versions. And at some point, I just went, I, I don't have the space for this and I don't need it either. Like, that, I can do without that one photo. You know, like, my life will be just fine. <laughs> it will continue mm-hmm. without taking that one photo. So I think you do have to rationalize sometimes as well, because it can be a little bit addictive and you can... Um, I think just get into this headspace of like, I know I need that photo. I need to take it. And it's not always true. But it's okay if it is, because it's just another way to enjoy the hobby, isn't it? That's true as well. I think think that was an extreme example for me, just because it was like, you know, you're talking a lot of pricey toys that Mm -hmm. can be moved on and, and liquidated for other stuff, of course. Um, so, but yes, absolutely. I, I, that's not me at all saying, oh, don't do things just for photographs. Cause it is, I mean, I, you know, like, um, like Liam, I've got diorama bits and bobs as well. And I, I actually, I've actually found shopping for the diorama stuff quite enjoyable, like going on a hunt for like what will work, uh, you know, looking at like fish tank accessories and things like that. And that's so much of that. Yeah. <laughs> just honestly in garden centers and things like that like looking at, at what's there you know and just seeing like oh that would look cool in the background of a robot photo um and i've actually found it immensely enjoyable 
And there's always that frustration of um, when you think something should exist, but it turns out it doesn't. That's, that's always the thing I was fine with diorama. So it's like, I really would like this like racetrack in this particular scale. Hmm. It's like, it doesn't actually exist. No one's made one. Like, yeah, a, a bit, a bit like a kind of moon diorama, Liam. That would. Uh, that I would almost be... mentioned that earlier, but I thought <laughs> I didn't want to see your hurt face. Oh, mate! Honestly, <laughs> I'm still so gutted. For I, I have spent, I don't know how many hours, if I totted it up, searching for some equivalent of a moon diorama to use, just like a moon surface, moon rock, or whatever to use on the floor. Nada, absolutely nada. And oh, Liam. Liam I was has like you once. The perfect, perfect moon <laughs> diorama. Like I, I, I covet it. I can't even tell you. I think it's time to it. just commission one. You just need to commission one. I think it's getting to that stage, which is like a whole other level in itself, isn't it? So, but this is one that is mate made for him before he stopped making them. So, I'll send you some more pictures of it if you want. <laughs> That'll help. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you at some you, pictures of, of RID toys, mate. How's that? Boo. But um, that started with, um, I used to buy, do you remember the Lego base plates? Yeah, yeah, I had yeah, some of those. Was the, there was like the moon one, but eventually they just didn't look so good in, you know, photos. So had one yeah. made. Yeah, good idea. Best way, I think. Best way. Seems to have worked out. Uh, cool. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you want to get into toy photography, it definitely changes so much of how you do the hobby and how you approach it. I definitely look at toys differently now. And there are, I think as you sort of indicated, Matt, there are toys that I, when I see them, I think, wow, that's going to be fun to photograph. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the Mastermind Creations, the Optus Pexus that they've just released. I'm doing some Stop pictures it. of that at the moment. I'm not doing it just for your benefit, yes, you I swear. I'm not just trying to tempt you with it, I promise. I see you, Sixer, I see you. Uh, oh, it is a lovely toy, Liam. You should really get in on that. Uh, <laughs> but that aside... I remember seeing pictures of it and how articulated it is. My first thought genuinely was, I want to photograph that toy. It wasn't mm-hmm. even a, I want to own it or whatever. It's just, I want to photograph it. So, and as it turns out, it's great fun. Actually, I've just remembered um, about photography uh, having an impact on what we collect. When we were doing the great Cybertronian write-off, again, that's hashtag GCWO. Check it out on social media. Plug, plug. Uh, plug, plug. Um we were doing all of 1984 and then all of 1985 and there were some toys that none of us had and we wanted to have a comprehensive uh, resource. And it was just so fun to do these photographs and then write about these toys, these mini reviews. And I remember actually changing my toy buying priorities to get toys that neither of us had so that I could do the GCW entry. And that's how I ended up with the Power Dashes and Mini Spies was basically to make sure uh, we could cover those entries. And it was really fun because then it was like, oh, that's going to be my entry. And I can't wait to do the photos in my style and write my mini review of the toy for this project. Yeah, I, even I bought, I rebought toys I already had that I was quite happy with in a better condition just so the photos looked as good as your twos. <laughs> so it's kind of changed to how I bought toys there as well. That, that was definitely a project that kind of inspired a lot of that for sure um yeah there was there was definitely a i think it was just that aim wasn't it to get the g1 toys looking as decent as possible and it was so much fun like how i don't know it's another way this kind of what the impact i suppose it's had on me i suppose all of us is like just the friendship of it like it was just so much fun as chatting about it every day and yeah like all the different things we were doing for it and not the one-upsmanship with the pictures because it was never like that was it it was just no. 
seeing each person's pictures as they were coming in and going, wow. They were too so different good. to be yeah. uh, like Everybody's that. They were just style was their own. Yeah, like your swoop photograph and then your power glide photograph and just the even the Megatron photograph with that really lovely purple background that you used it was just reminded me of Cadbury's or silk cut cigarettes. It was just so um I would look forward to what you guys were doing. And I think it's funny, like the one that stands out for me the most of six of those photographs was that Skywalp photograph. So I still remember that. Yeah. It was oh, one of the like- most striking photos of that entire run of things that we did. It was like couldn't believe how good you made that tour look and i just you know it was just on one of your uh, road diorama pieces i think was it road was yeah it like an airstrip it was, was, it was road yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah that was really fun i don't think we'd be doing this podcast if it wasn't for that project well, no that's where this all came from yeah this is where the idea sprung from i think that i think what you you were saying a second ago liam was absolutely bang right is that all of this actually the photography everything has led to you know really nice friendships as well and yeah. and that for me has been invaluable um and and it all centers around the photography but that's like, yep. the things that sort of spring forth from it and, and yeah. it's something that we did during an incredibly difficult period of time for everybody you know in lockdown it gave us something to look forward to and now it's led to this and you know this wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for photos that we take and that sort of shared interest so mm. it's led to this and it's it's not a big leap to say that us enjoying photography in toys has led to us having basically a meetup every two weeks catching up with each other enjoying this and just happen to be recording it and and making something of it yeah definitely right well it's been a a hugely uh informative and uh lively discussion on toy photography i've really enjoyed it Uh, i guess one final question i might have for you both is who are the uh, Transformers photographers in the community that you know maybe you admire the the people that you know when you see their photos in your Instagram feed or whatever that you think wow that's that's a so and so photo that looks great uh, anyone in particular? Uh, I it may seem obvious but there is a reason why when I thought of the GCWO I came to you two to to do this project with because I just wanted your photos on the on that project. And I always look forward to the photos that you guys do for Kit's annual UK-based uh, Transformers calendar. So definitely you two. Also, um, I really like pictures from Marion, uh, Marion Hilditch. She was posting really lovely close-ups with soft focus of yeah, uh, toy head sculpts. And uh, I remember during like the IDW phase when I was uh, reading a lot of the comics, uh, her photos really stood out to me. We've mentioned uh, Boastful Manfish, John Strong. His photos are incredible for atmosphere and, and drama and effects. And just uh, they really capture you. Like they're amazing. And and I really, um, I love photos from artists who can be really clean. They make their images supremely clean. And that started with uh, Ben Munn back in 2002. Did amazingly clean diaclone photography. Uh, um Robotachan in the UK did some really mm. lovely photos with you know super clean that's a style that I've sort of gravitated towards uh 20th century toy collector guy called Mio uh, you should check out his website his toy photography is supremely retro and really classy uh, really influenced my photos um yeah Tony Bacala on TFW just some incredible say, photos uh, just an incredibly polished result with his photos they they really look uh the business uh, the, the, yeah he's done some he did some photos of unicron recently mm-hmm. and oh, i was yes. i was blown away by how good they are mm-hmm. genuinely 
like sincere apologies to anyone I've missed. Those are the ones that come to mind immediately. Yeah, it wasn't really meant to be like an exhaustive um, list. And, and I don't think it ever could be because there are so many talented people. I think for my part, um, you know, we, we mentioned earlier, you know, Unem, Unicron mm-hmm. Nemesis. I think his his images are fantastic, really, really good. Always consistently good quality. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, really, really good. Uh, one for me would be Cybertron Warriors, mm-hmm. which oh, I was uh, going to mention so, him. Yeah, he's he's excellent photographer. I think uh, again, really crisp, uh, really polished images. He one thing he does that's really nice is he's very good at sharing behind the scenes stuff, and he put out. I was fascinated by it, actually. He put out. Um, I don't know if it was stop motion or how he did it, but you know, like a time lapse thing of him setting up and taking a particular photo and i have to be honest and say that the level of effort that went in to that was i even you know for me that knows what i'm doing with the camera and everything it it was unprecedented to see how much he'd put into um you know setting up the shot in terms of the different elements the different practical elements he used Uh, i guess for me i kind of forget some of that because a lot of mine stays permanently like my practical setup tends to live it does i don't have to dismantle it all the time so that was that but also he does a lot of um incredible photoshop work afterwards to really mm-hmm. kind of add nice effects and things which i was quite in awe of yeah i'd just say all of those and also joe moore from the toy art yes guy. joe moore yeah, absolutely definitely he he has so much good stuff as well for like diorama stuff like he makes such great little scenes they're just incredible also, want to mention uh, Bryce Rutledge, Bryce. I remember his, uh, his yeah, photos were all quite influential. Like, I really loved yeah. those. I, his photos for me have been some of the most informative. Um, yeah. Just seeing, particularly a lot of the the Japanese G one stuff in stunning detail that I you just don't see otherwise. You know, mm-hmm. um, pictures of things like Landcrafts and stuff like that, like the originals, non non reissue versions, uh, and the six combiners. That just isn't publicized particularly, um, but he's had some exceptional uh, and very crisp and clean images of those. It's quite quite something. They're very helpful when stickering toys as well. His yes, <laughs> yeah. I think I think his uh, username was also Hyperoptic. Uh, was another TFW photographer who used to take some really good photos. I mean, he did some really nice photos as well. But there are loads. I mean, it, you, you kind of referenced it earlier, but you know, like on the super clear thread, yeah, just uh, on TFW, pop in there, yeah, of course. Just some ex- exceptional photographers. People like Hard Return as well mm. do amazing stuff. Bonkers. Uh, yeah. Plastic Spark. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Josh, Which Plastic Spark. Great, of course. Yeah. Gosh, we could go on all day. But yeah, there are <laughs> literally countless amazing photographers. Uh, and I think, you know, and even just people that, you know, doing snaps on their phones and things, it's, as I say, it's never really been a better time for it in many ways. It's just incredible to see. You've got to start somewhere, haven't you? Everyone, yeah. Everyone's got to start somewhere. I think if you're if you're feeling like you want to give it a go, give it a go. That's it. And don't be, it's kind of what we said at the beginning, you know, don't be put off by the results, that how you perceive the results anyway of what other people are doing. Because I guarantee you it's not as glamorous as it looks behind the scenes, you know. Uh, oh, remember a couple more that I have to mention as well. Like, oh, go uh, on. Raz. Raz's photos are terrific. And, and for a person yeah. to have a collection like he does and to then photograph it to the quality he does, you just scream out all the time, make a book, make a book, you know, just do it. 
We now return to the Transformers. Okay, so lots of uh, important shout-outs. Uh, also wanted to acknowledge for today some very special feedback that we've been receiving of late. Isn't that right, Mez? Yeah, I mean, we capture every positive comment that, that is made about the podcast on, on various social media platforms, and we put out those photo collages on Twitter that's how grateful we are. I want to take the time and like capture everyone who's taken the time to to listen to the podcast and give that positive feedback. But also I wanted to thank the people who had gone to the lengths of leaving a really positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts as well. So Robinus Prime, Skywarp SCS, Boone Mason, Woodimus Prime, and Captain Alexis. Thank you so much, guys, for leaving such positive, kind reviews on Apple Podcasts. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, and of course, if you do want to do the same, we are on Apple Podcasts or uh, many other avenues. But on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a nice review if you want to, a little comment. Do it now. Uh, five stars. You know, if you've enjoyed what you hear, leave us a five stars. And if you haven't, then uh, maybe piss off. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm joking, of course. No, I'm joking. But seriously, just leave us a nice review. Uh, do, it now. Uh, do it right now. Do it right now. Why, why wait? Why wait? Uh, what else but, are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, a pandemic. Se- <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, uh, it's been uh, a lot of fun doing this one. And uh, as I said earlier, you know, that it, it may well be the case. I'm sure it is that there are topics that we just haven't covered today. I can already think of several. I know the other guys can as well. So if there are things that you would like to hear us come back to and do, you know, like a follow up episode or something a bit more in depth then please just give us a shout because we're well up for that, I'm sure. You may have noticed by now that we kind of like to talk, so uh, I'm (laughs) sure we'll be all too happy to oblige. Uh, Otherwise, it remains for me to say, do look us up on the old social media. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Uh, We are triple underscore takeover. Uh, on all of those except for facebook where we're just triple takeover so you can check us out there uh maz where can people find you i'm on instagram facebook and twitter as at tf square one as one word liam how about yourself uh instagram twitter facebook all of those things at incapable hulk oh no at toy box hope sorry i picked the wrong lashback whoa Whoa. what happened there in the delorean I yeah, man. Gigawatt and went went back in time. Little little time jump there, and uh, yeah, you can find me as well. I'm on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever the other ones are at six OTF oh, on YouTube as well. So that's kind of fun. Uh, otherwise, it remains for me to say thank you very very much for listening, and uh, I hope you have a, a a good one. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. Oh, 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 oh